Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting these sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And we are finally ready to pass judgment on the saga of the Sworn Brothers, Fossbrother Saga. Now, it's been Yay. a while since we uh, put on our fancy goalie gear to uh, judge a saga, John. Yeah, I mean, this one just ended up being one of those surprise texts. So there's just there's more to talk about than we were expecting. Always is, yeah. If, if you... If you made it through all six episodes, congratulations, and we're very, very sorry. Well, you may be sorry. I, I regret nothing. Oh, that must be nice. That uh, regretting <laughs> nothing fits in with the amoral killers we've been spending time with for the last uh, yeah. few months as we do this saga. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's been quite a ride. The, uh, the Sworn Brothers were both difficult men in their own ways, but they did provide us with plenty of material to play with. How are we feeling about things right now? Are we ready to be done with this? Yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed my time here, but I am looking forward to covering our next saga, whatever that might be. And I think Mm -hmm. there's some great things on the horizon. Yep. And at the end of this episode, we'll let everybody know what we're covering next. Uh, But today, the thing is assembled to judge the actions of Thorger Haverson, Thorma Bersason, and their friends and enemies. Not to mention the author's work as well. I think that's... Of course, yes, the author as well, yes. But that's not as straightforward as it is in most sagas, is it? No, I mean, actually, it's rarely as simple as we make it sound. Uh, Sagas Mm. weren't just written down and then preserved in amber, you know. Uh, There's no process of publication in the sense that we now think of it for these texts with hundreds or thousands of copies being made of any single work. Uh, A text can have a pretty long evolution, something my students have trouble... Uh, putting their minds around. Uh, mm-hmm. What we read in the end, it really only captures a moment in that evolution. And I think that's worth remembering. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You've got the likelihood of oral elements or origins for the stories. And then the question of, as you say, the manuscripts being copied out. Ultimately, the modern idea of authorship in many sagas cases is somewhat problematic. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's a whole, it's a sideway road we don't need to go down. Uh, we are talking about False Brother Saga. Right. And in this case, we had multiple versions of the saga to consult, and the story honestly changes somewhat significantly from one text to another, from one scene to another, depending on where you're looking. Right, right. And so in the end, we're judging a sort of amalgamated version of the saga, with materials from the different sources being allowed to sort of compete with each other. But they're all ultimately on the same team, John. That's, you know, got to consider that. There you go. So uh, are uh, are we ready to get started? Oh, I think so. Okay. Um, as always, we're going to be judging seven categories. We have best bloodshed, body count, nicknames, notable witticisms, outlawry, thingmen, and final ratings. And of course, these are just our judgments. You're welcome to make your own judgments and to let us hear about them. Yes, please do, actually. Uh, we have never had to overturn a decision yet, but there's always a first time. Actually, we did once. Uh, did we? Didn't you give up a draft pick to to rechoose a thingman a while back? No, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no recollection. No, you 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 definitely did that. I On to the judgments, did. John. Best bloodshed. As always, we're starting off with the best bloodshed category. This award goes to the most memorable moment of violence in the saga. Not necessarily to the bloodiest fight. We're looking for something interesting, something unexpected, or a real showstopper of a moment. Andy, we decided you were going to lead us off in this category, mm-hmm. so uh, 
Get to work. What'd you choose? <laughs> okay, so, okay, John. Uh, let's take a trip back to the beginning of this saga. Back to a time when oh. Thorgeir was still alive and his bromance with Thormod was still going strong. Do you remember those times? It feels like a bygone era, but yes, I vaguely recall it, sure. Yeah. Well, this first candidate comes from those days. Uh, I believe it was in Chapter 6 when Thorgeir encountered a large and powerfully built man called Butraldi. He was ugly quick-tempered, and vengeful. Remember that guy? Yeah, he uh, shares a lot of qualities with Thorgir. Really? Yes, uh, but was, was Thorgir ugly? Well, I don't, I don't really know if that's ever made clear. I was thinking of the uh, the quick-tempered, vengeful part. Yes. The, uh, the large and powerfully built part. Yes, yes, I think that's right. Uh, but I do, in terms of looks, I think it says earlier that Thorgir was brave-looking, whatever that means. He's brave-looking. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it probably doesn't mean ugly, per se. Probably not. I, I, the way I think of that is he's got a strong jawline, some sharp eyes. Uh, outside of that, I am not really what sure. I'm not really sure what constitutes brave looking. And yet here you are looking right at me. Doesn't give you any ideas. <laughs> Soft and doughy. I don't. Know. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> Gray and bearded. Yes. Well, whatever the case, Butraldi was known as a slayer of men, and that's also worth. And to be fair, so is Thorgir. Fair, fair enough, yes. And for those of you who recall this episode, Thorgir and Butraldi meet one winter evening in the home of Thorkettle of uh, of Gervilal. Now, yeah, now this is just the this is the guy who's known to be a little bit miserly with his guests. Yes, that's the guy. And we had a good laugh in the episode over the scene where Thorgir and Butraldi were trying to show each other up by being more satisfied than the other with the small portions of old mutton and hard cheese that Thorkel provided. Yeah, uh, it was clear from the silence in the exchange that they were sort of measuring each other up for a fight, or at least trying very hard to chew their dinner. Yes, exactly. Uh, Which leads us to our first Best Bloodshed Candidate. Oh, good. I was hoping we'd get to this eventually. (laughs) Well, I had to set the table, as it were. Um, It has been Uh months since we covered this section, and I think it's good to remind the listeners of what was going on there. Uh, So after a brief stay at Thorkettle's place, I was going to say mansion, but that doesn't make any sense. It's not a mansion (laughs) at all. Uh, But they were staying at Thorkettle's, and uh, they leave, and they head out in the same direction. Um, Butraldi goes first and he has two companions with him and Thorgir follows after just a short time later he spots Butraldi heading through the valley towards a steep ridge and he knows that because it's winter and it's snowy and there's a lot of ice it's going to take them a while to climb that ridge so Thorgir crosses the river and circles around the back side of the hill and he ascends the ridge from the gentler slope there at the back now you might be asking yourself and we did then uh, why is Thorgir doing this? Mm. I mean, there's, Good question. There's really no motivation here. There's no reason other than that Thorgir just really doesn't like the cut of Batraldi's jib. Well, that, and I guess if you think about the way Thorgir views the world, he he's looking at Butraldi as a good challenge. Can I take this guy mm. on and best him? And we know that right. Thorgir loves a challenge. So here he is standing at the top of the ridge, and he's looking down at Butraldi, cutting footholds for himself in the ice as he climbs this ridge. And Thorgir just waits long enough until Butraldi makes it about halfway up the slope. And then, mm-hmm. well, here I think it's important to let the saga speak for itself. <laughs> Thorgir placed his spear underneath him with the spearhead facing forwards. He raised his axe to shoulder height and then slid down the snow towards Butraldi. He heard the sound of Thorgir whizzing down and looked up. But before he knew what was happening, Thorgir struck him full in the chest with his axe and cut straight through him. And he fell back down the slope. 
Thorgair continued down past him until he reached the flat ground. And that, my friend, wow. that's how you do best bloodshed. I believe uh-huh. we, uh, we both felt pretty strongly at the time that this uh, snowboarding, spear-riding killing was the one that should end up winning. Yeah, but that was before we'd gotten very far in the saga. True. There are a lot of other candidates. I can't imagine, though, that you've got one that can compete with that, but you go ahead. You try. All right. All right. Well, you let off with a tough one. The spear ski sled thing is hard to beat, but I've got something I think is worthy for a different reason. Different in a sense other than better? Hmm? Ah, you had your turn. Uh, during the time after the Swarm Brothers broke up their double act, uh, Thorgir is roaming around, if you remember, looking for people to take his frustrations out on. Right? He's no longer, as you said with, this, with the first uh, candidate, he's no longer just looking for a challenge. He's now looking for people to beat up. And one day, while he's out riding ahead of his friends Ilugi and Thorgils, Thorgir spots a group of workmen finishing a hard day on the farm. <laughs> so all these workmen look very tired. Uh, But one in particular, the shepherd, is exhausted from a hard day's work. He's leaning heavily on his staff. He's bending forward with his head hanging down. Thorgir rides right through the group of men at full speed. And as he passes, he chops the shepherd's head off with an axe blow. (laughs) He rides away as the head spins through the air and falls to the ground. And the man's friends stare in frozen horror. And later, when Thorgir's friends ask him what the hell the shepherd had done to deserve death, Thorgir replies, That man committed no wrong against me. To tell the truth, I just couldn't resist the temptation. He stood so well poised for the blow. <laughs> it is such a cold-blooded moment, although I don't know if I like you uh, adding the uh, witticism right there. And you're, you're, you're overselling, <laughs> I think. We're, we're supposed to focus on the bloodshed. I mean, this is, this is the moment we fully realize that Thorgir is different from most saga protagonists. Oh, yeah. I mean... He's a killer, but he's also a deeply deranged person. Mm -hmm. This is a man who kills simply because it doesn't occur to him not to. It's disturbing and it's hard to forget. It's just the sort of thing that wins a bloodshed award. It is sometimes, although I need to ask there, John, isn't that one from the Flatair book? Why is that relevant? Well, because I I think think there's a question there. Are we judging? Which of the versions are we we judging? We've already established that we're going to be allowing the different versions of the saga to speak for themselves. Well, I hear that, but I don't know if I feel comfortable. Well, are you are you are you hearing it? Because it sounds to me like you're closing your ears, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, if you are uh, insisting that we share multiple candidates on this one, I'm fine with that because I want to remind you of the famous roof attack scene. The the famous roof attack scene. Uh-huh. Um, I'm assuming you are not referring to the roof attack in Yal saga. Uh, when uh, Thorgrim Redshirt was not sure if Gunnar was home, but his halberd sure was. Yes. Uh, that's a famous roof attack scene, Andy. That's a different saga. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. I'm not talking about that one, though that one is admittedly better and more deservedly famous. But this mm-hmm. one's pretty good, too, in my opinion. It all happened one summer at the farm of a man known as Hakil Snorri. Now, at the time... Oh, yeah. Thorgir was moving a herd of pack horses south to Borgafjord. As he's passing Hackle Snorri's farm, the horses veer off the path and into Snorri's hayfield. And Thorgir does his best with his companion to round these animals up, but Snorri comes out and sees these horses and he's in a rage. And when he spots one of the horses feasting on the hay, well, that's the last straw. Wink, wink. As a tour. As a tour. Uh, so Snorri rushes indoors. He grabs a large barbed spear and then comes out swearing and he's swinging the spear around, yelling at these horses. And then he's yelling at Thorgir. 
Not a smart move, Snorri. No, he doesn't know who he's dealing with here. It's a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. Snorri's out there wounding the animals as he flails about wildly, prompting Thorgeir then to get down off his horse and deal with this crazed farmer. So with his shield on his arm, a spear in his right hand, and an axe in his left, Thorgeir manages to chase Snorri back to this (laughs) sheep house in the field. Two of Snorri's farmhands rush out of the house to help, but they've only got short axes to use against Thorgeir's long spear. And soon the two men and Snorri are wounded and retreating back into the sheep house. But the door is low and narrow, and that protects them. Thorgeir has no way to mm-hmm. attack them safely from outside. Right now, other men might walk away at this point, but Thorgeir is an innovative guy. Yes, he's not uh, other men. Uh, he's not going to walk away from this until it's finished. Now, as I said, he's unable to get the men from the doorway. Uh, so he leaps on top of the sheep house and begins tearing the turf away to create an opening. Mm-hmm. And that's when one of Snorri's men thrusts a spear up through the roof. That's right, yes. And it catches, catches Thorgir uh, in the abdomen, I think, and leaves him wounded. Yeah, it's one of the things that I actually liked about this saga. The protagonists get wounded, too. Yeah, they get wounded a lot, actually. Yes, they do. But uh, they almost always win in the end, so that's good. Well, I mean, you know, everyone except the last time. That's... And even that's debatable, but uh, I guess mm-hmm. we'll get there. For now, Thorgeir is dealing with an onslaught from Snorri's spear as it comes up through the opening in the roof. So the spear keeps popping up as Thorgeir's trying to get down. So he, he's working to hack at the spear with his axe and he's hoping to break mm-hmm. it. And as soon as he does, he jumps straight through the opening with his axe raised to strike and brings it down on the crown of Snorri's head, splitting it in two. And though the quarters are quite tight, he quickly dispatches Snorri's two men as well. And there... Mm-hmm. You have another example of a roof attack, this time from the other side. Right. And that, I mean, we just said at the time, the idea of that battle inside that shed of just bodies everywhere yeah. and people trying desperately to get enough room to swing a weapon must, I mean, just the idea of that. So the brutality of that is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you forgot the best part, Andy. Uh, wasn't that the best part? Um, I don't know if you remember, but after he's done... Uh, uh, Thorgir rides to the farmhouse and tells people there that Hakil Snorri is down at the sheep house and he's waiting to meet them. <laughs> that Thorgir, he's so clever. Uh, and he he's honestly, he's a best bloodshed dream come true. Uh, the early sections of the saga are just full of people getting split into at Thorgir's hand. Too many for yeah, us to no, count I, I enjoy that fight in particular, though. Uh, the image of Hackle Snorri desperately stabbing up through the yeah. roof as Thorgir tears his way down into the building. Yeah. So, uh, so John, do you have any Best Bloodshed candidates that don't star our man Thorgir? Because so far, it's been his well, show. I do indeed. Uh, and I, I have to say, I think this next one's a serious contender. Oh, no. You, we both say that. But you said that last time. I mean, there's an embarrassment of riches in this category. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one is Thormod's chance to shine. It's Thormod's attack on the Hamundrasons. Uh, and specifically, everything that happens after Thormod slides over the cliff edge. Yes. So, uh, a brief reminder, uh, Thormod disguised himself as Adi Laus to get close to Hamundrasons. Yes, I still get itchy yeah. thinking about Adi's cloak. <laughs> no, it's fine. His lice are all well-fed and sleepy, remember? That's right. I, I understand why you think... That would make it better, but it, it really, really does not when you think about lice. Uh, uh, sorry. So, Thormod uses this very effective disguise. Nobody's getting close enough to really challenge it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he uses it to get the drop on the brothers, right? He killed Thorkel Hamunderson right away, but then uh, flee the scene with Thord and Falgir on his heels. 
Yeah, Thormod runs up a cliff and slides off, landing partway down on a ledge that he knows about. Yes, uh, Thormod was living in a cave in the cliff face because, well, he'd already made waves by uh, killing these guys' uncle, Thorgrim. Yep. Uh, so Thorhamunderson skids over the edge after Thormod, but misjudges the ledge and lands badly. Uh, Thormod chops him down before he can regain his balance, but while he's doing that, Falgir slides over the edge and lands behind him and buries an axe in, Thor- in Thormod's back. Now in desperation, Thormod throws himself and Falgir off the ledge into the sea below. Uh, both men attempt to drown each other in the water, and Thormod survives by yanking Falgir's trousers down, tangling his legs in the fabric, and then holding him underwater until the bubbles stop. Oh, it's a terrible way for a warrior to die. And um, and it's worth noting that Falgir had a reputation as a great warrior. It's a hard yeah. way to go out. No, it's, it's very clear in that moment that Thormod is going to die if he tries fighting Falgir using conventional weapons. Yeah. Um, so instead, he uses unconventional pants. <laughs> the the battle ends with Thormod badly wounded, treading water, while Falgir's bare buttocks bob up and down next to him. Mm-hmm. It's quite a sequence. Uh, every step of it contributes to the overall effect, and the sudden turn to absurdity at the end is just... For me, it really underlines the, sort of the pathos of the entire episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, beautifully put, John. Pathos and everything. Uh, definitely worth considering. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Um, if it's all right with you, I want to just acknowledge one last thing. I want to talk about Thorgair's last stand, if that's all right. All right. I, I don't think this is a winner, but it's, it deserves a place on the list. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it's not a winner, actually, when you really think about it. It's part of why I want to talk all about right. it, but we can discuss that in a moment. For now, we need we, we, we don't really need to rehash the whole sequence of events, but it's worth tipping the hat to Thorgair for this brave defense. Um, as you'll recall, he's ambushed by Thorarin the Overbearing, who approaches his ship with a trading vessel and two small boats full of men. Now, Thorgair, remember, has only eight men with him when Thorarin suddenly attacks. And then Thorgrim Troll arrives and moves his ship up against Thorgair's. And pretty soon, all of Thorgir's companions are dead, and he's left to defend himself alone against this horde of attackers coming out of different ships all over uh, on every side of his own. Um, these attackers are led by Thorgrim and Thorarin, of course. And as the saga tells us, Thorgir wielded his axe with both hands. For a long time, no one managed to strike back at him, since none desired to be laid to rest for the night by his axe. And yet, that was the fate that many of them suffered. All in all, it says he killed 14 men before he's finally laid low. It's truly an epic scene. I mean, it's a remarkable feat of strength by Thorger. Yeah. Um, and the, the saga praises his last stand as one of the finest displays of martial prowess in Iceland at the time. Yeah. And I mean, we've we've heard that whole no one put up such a fight as he line a few times in the sagas, but it's usually reserved for special occasions. And this is one of those occasions. Oh, and uh, let's not forget the best bloodshed-appropriate coda to Thorgir's last stand here. Oh, it gets bloodshedier. Yes, it does. Uh, Thorgir was so brave that some people wondered what kind of heart he had inside his chest. They cut him open mm-hmm. and found that his heart was remarkably small and hard, a sign of his courage. Yeah, and if slicing his chest open and gawking at his innards wasn't enough, uh, Thorarin the Overbearing then decapitated the body and paraded the head around. Remember, he sort of pickled and salted the head yeah. and carried it around for an entire winter in an attempt to gain glory for his victory over Thorgir. Mm-hmm. But the head soon begins to rot, and Thorgir's terrible countenance frightens Thorarin and his men while they're trying to laugh at it. 
So they give up on their fun game and they bury the head in a hole. Yes. And thus Thorgair gets the last laugh. Yes, a slightly muffled from being <laughs> under the ground. The last laugh. Uh, and you're right. That whole Thorgar's last stand sequence does pack a best bloodshed punch. It does. I rescind yes. my objection. Okay. Uh, which leaves us with a real problem. What mm-hmm. do we do here? We've got too many good candidates from this saga and only one best bloodshed award to give out. What are you thinking, John? Oh, uh, boy. Um, I've got two candidates. Um, yeah. I'll tell you that much. Uh, I, I I do like Thorgar's last stand, but I do don't think that it stands apart from other last stands that we've seen. Uh, it lacks the the drama of Gisley's last stand. Sure. Uh, it lacks the sort of the, if I may use the term pathos twice, uh, <laughs> it lacks the pathos of Gretter's last stand. Uh, it lacks the epic scope of Horde's last stand. Mm-hmm. It's, it's supposed to be an outlaw's kind of comeuppance. But it lacks any of the – it doesn't have any of the superlatives that the others managed to achieve in the, yeah. the death of the outlaw. I think that's quite fair. I mean, it, it, it has the substance in terms of numbers. It has the substance in terms of, of kind of the length of the fight. And certainly the uh, ripping open of his body at the end is is interesting. But Thorgir himself doesn't actually – aside from racking up numbers and defending himself, there's nothing really – there's right. no signature move there. To bring it all together. Right. So, um, where, I, agree I mean, Thorgir and Thormod each manage a signature move. Uh, Thorgir with the ski sled. Yes. Uh, that spear that he slides down on to kill Bithraldi. Uh, and Thormod, uh, killing the Hamunduson brothers and finishing the whole thing up by, uh, pants tying Falgir and yeah. then drowning him in the surf. Yeah. Uh, Those are my two candidates I, as well. Yeah, I mean, I think those are two things that we're not going to see again, <laughs> for sure. Um, there's something you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my hat in and say I I think it should be the uh, spear sled. Uh, it is mm. such a dynamic, surprising, oh my goodness moments. Uh, you, you know, when you're reading that, your jaw drops and you think, is this really happening? How does this work? Whereas with the the pantsing, while I I think that's an interesting and uh, I think it's a dramatic dynamic moment it, it doesn't compare in terms of what best bloodshed represents to what thorgar accomplishes with his spear sliding down the slope to get his enemy i i, I the only reason i would disagree with that is that i think uh the the thormod fight builds so beautifully uh, uh, it, that he first you cut does. down one brother you have all three of them baseball sliding over the edge of a cliff yeah uh, one of them dying on the ledge, the other two falling into the surf, Thormod with an axe in his back, uh, and then the the wrestling match in the water that ends with the drowning. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot there, and it just keeps there building. Is. I mean, every time you think this set piece is over, there's another kind of crazy thing yeah. that happens. Like I said, it's a great dramatic uh, sequence, but in terms of it what is, Best Bloodshed is. is, Best Bloodshed's about that oh my god moment, and Thorgar accomplishes you, that you don't space. think you don't think drowning you don't think drowning a man with his own pants is a is an oh wow moment that's an oh but wow right. that's an oh wow moment that you're thinking ah <laughs> uh, did he really do that um yeah he did this is um, you know they're both innovative yeah one is a little more shameful than yeah. the other no i uh uh i grant you that um i will i will say we're not going to see either one of these again uh, yeah. And so I would be very happy with either one of them winning it. Uh, but I'm I'm willing to uh, concede this one because there's another one later on that I'm not going to concede. Oh, okay. Can All right. About. Well, so I want you to remember that uh, I gave you this one. You, you scratch my back. <laughs> I'll scratch yours and we'll see where That's we come right. out in the That's end. That's right. <laughs> All right. 
Sounds good. So Thorgare gets something. Uh, I'm really proud of him. He's going to. Mm. Oh look, he's coming down on his and his spear. That's great. Oh he's, great. Yeah. <laughs> you better watch out, John. Body, body count. count. Okay, so body count is pretty self-explanatory, which uh, doesn't mean we don't somehow manage to argue about the count in nearly every saga. How does Fuss Brothers Saga fare in the body stacking competition, Andy? Well, actually, the body count for the Saga of the Sworn Brothers, our Fuss Brothers Saga, was, for the most part, tallied without controversy. Mm-hmm. There were some minor discrepancies between the number of kills reported for some battles in the prose and the poetry dealing with the same scenes, uh, but we right. dealt with that. Yeah, no, in, in those cases, we usually try to privilege the prose of the saga itself rather than the poetry the author is claiming as his source for the scene. So when the prose reports, say, 14 deaths from Thorger's last stand, and the poem reports 13, we go with 14. Yeah, which is only fair because we feel like the sagas usually owe us a few for the count that we, uh, we've we got. Uh, when we tally things up, you know, I mean, we want that's, more. That's not really why. We're just assuming <laughs> that the narrative is telling a consistent story, while the poetry oh, okay. is explicitly from a limited perspective and might be wrong for any number of reasons. Sure, uh, sure. But yes, nothing nothing worse than hearing that the crew of a ship died and we have no numbers anywhere and we're just told the crew died. Uh, so yeah. we have no idea how many of them there might be. And then we don't count them. Right. Uh, you know, listen, people, we honestly aren't as bloodthirsty as this category makes us sound. We're just trying well, to do yeah. our job. Yeah. <laughs> but it really is a shame. Uh, now, you might have listened to this saga and thought to yourself, wow, that was a bloody one. Thorgar and Thormod just loved mixing it up and getting it into getting into fights and right. killing and, people. And, and you'd be right about that. I mean, pretty much every scene is built around a fight or at least is laying the foundation for an eventual mm-hmm. bloodshed. That's true. And yet, John, the body count for False Brother Saga, the Saga of the Sworn Brothers, is relatively low at 63. I mean, it says something that 63 untimely deaths is low to you. <laughs> well, compared to other sagas that we've covered recently, yes. Let me take you down memory lane here. Thord Menace had only uh, a body count of 74, which mm-hmm. we thought was really low for how much action we saw in that one. But, John, Thord Menace was a much shorter saga than False Brother Saga. Yep. And before that, we had Barth Saga with a body count of 104. Mm-hmm. The saga of Horde and the Home Dwellers had 220. <laughs> and before that, we were dealing with Ale Saga, which had a crazy body count of 407. Uh-huh. So, yeah, John, 63 for a saga featuring two Ale Scott Grimsons going up against the world. Well, that's surprisingly uh, low. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you suggesting these Sworn Brothers are equal to two Ales? Or I would say they might be more two halves of one Ale Scott Grimson. Well, 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 that is a, an interesting observation. I think you're right. Probably two halves of an ale, but uh, debatable. It's debatable. All right. All right. If the body count is, at least as you're arguing here, very low, that means the body count density measurement is the going BCDM. to be... The BCDM is also going to be disappointing. Mm-hmm. Well, that depends on your perspective, as with all things. Uh, False Brother Saga was 3.61 Hrofenkels long. That's plenty of space to fill with bodies if you're really committed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to remind you that Horde and the Home Dwellers was barely more than two Hrofenkels long, and it managed to pack 220 untimely deaths in. So, right. And we have to acknowledge you know. that's because that saga was uh, extremely fanciful and often was just giving us sort of groups of men who were being massacred indiscriminately. 
Look, but, if you want it, you want it, John. Absolutely. Uh, but that does make uh, Horde the uh, leader in the BCDM, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Horde and the Home Dwellers unseated the Saga of the Greenlanders with an impressive and, I have to assume, unbeatable BCDM of 105.77. So if that's what you're looking for, a dense body count measurement, then uh, maybe maybe False Brother Saga isn't for you. Well, but what if I'm looking for a saga that lets its deaths breathe a bit? A saga (laughs) that takes its time setting up those deaths, artisanal deaths, Andy. Deaths that allow us to appreciate the nuance of character, the building of tension, the complexity Mm -hmm. of each side's moral position. Well, I would suggest you pick another saga because (laughs) Fourth Brother Saga could care less about deep characterization and Uh carefully constructed set pieces, especially in the Thorgear sections. Yeah. Uh, Do you remember the Boutraldi scene? Do you remember the head flying off? Mm -hmm. All those random encounters? Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. It's not exactly Njal's saga, is it? But it's fun. No, no. And not even close to Njal's saga. Um, and while its BCDM of 17.45 may not be terribly Oof. impressive, it fits right in with a lot of the sagas we did when we first started doing this, mm-hmm. uh, this show. Um, and I think, like you said, the saga was a lot of fun. I've got no complaints. Same here. I do want to point out briefly that uh, we did, uh, before the podcast, uh, disagree over the what to do about the variant manuscript issue. The, uh, oh, yes. The body count for this saga. And I saga, was right. Uh, were you? Uh, the body count for the saga yeah. varies a bit depending on which version you're reading. Uh, mm-hmm. And we did have to talk about whether to follow one manuscript or all the manuscripts or the diplomatic edition translated by Martin Regal in The Complete Sagas of Icelanders. Right. We eventually went, went with a modified version of the diplomatic edition. And while that's not especially important to anyone else, I want to let everyone know that even in the judgments, manuscript studies reared its head one last time. I can't believe you've squeezed that in. (laughs) On to our next category. Nicknames. It's time for everybody's favorite saga thing segment about the aliases and epithets of the saga. Now, I don't recall a great many nicknames in this saga, John, but I do recall one that could carry the prize for this saga and for the upcoming quarter court and perhaps beyond. This one is a go-getter and it is one that uh, I think has quite a lot of endurance. So why don't you tell everyone out there uh, all about Helgi Selsesta? And why he should be the reigning champion of Icelandic saga nicknames. Don't worry about any other nicknames for this one, John. Just focus on the one. All right. Uh, Look, this category is not one of the saga strong suits. I recognize that. But we do have a few to talk about. And we're not just going to hand over the award to Helgi without due process. Really? Because I'm pretty much ready to vote right now. I was ready as soon as I read about this guy. I did a lot of research, so you're going to need to wait a minute. Okay. uh, As you know, Andy, I don't like to let this category go on too long, so uh, I've kept things trim and to the point as usual. Do you really think we believe anything you just said? Shh. Now, I rejected a handful of interesting names that we already covered in other sagas, including Uh Ulf the Squinter, Sigurd Fafnisbane, Sigurd Snake in the Eye, Olaf the Holy, Thorbjörg the Stout, Vermund the Slender. Uh, Mm -hmm. I also had a few honorable mentions that didn't end up making the cut. Uh, Thorar in the Overbearing... Thorgrim Troll, Ale the Fool, and Helga Steinar, uh, guest the Norwegian. That still leaves us with about eight good candidates to consider. Eight? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, man. No complaining. 
You will sit there and enjoy this whether you want to or not. Take your medicine. Fine. Let's go. <laughs> go ahead. Say it with a little more enthusiasm, please. Please, sir. Can I have some more nicknames? Okay, Oliver. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's start with Thorgir Hoflesa, or Boundless. Uh, just a reminder, this is not Thorgir the Sworn Brother. This is a different guy. One of the two foster brothers who end up killing each other. Mm-hmm. We're told in the saga that Thorgir's nickname, which translates as which is translated as boundless, comes from his habit of overspending and ending up in debt. That's probably about right, although the potential range of meanings of the word can also encompass excessive, intemperate, or even licentious. So beyond his money problems, Thorgir just generally lives a life unencumbered by self-control, uh, which fits for a guy who ends up killing and being killed by his best friend. Number two, Ingolf Sviden. Ingolf is one of the early victims of the Sworn Brothers. Uh, he and his son Thorbrand are killed as a favor to Sigurfjolf, a woman who gives them a place to stay overnight. We don't learn much about Ingolf apart from his nickname and his reputation as a bully and troublemaker. His nickname suggests a storied past, though, because Sviden refers to a scorching or burning. Uh, it's sometimes used as synecdoche for a singed sheep's head, but in this case, I'm leaning toward it just meaning singed, which could refer to a burning in which he took part or in which he was a victim. Kari Salmundersen in Yal Saga, for example, is called Singed Kari in Greta's Saga because of his narrow escape from the burning at Bergvassiel. Yes. Given Ingolf's nastiness and unpopularity, he may have been on either side of a burning. Uh, unfortunately, the brothers don't ask about his name before killing him, so that's all we mm. get. Torfi Bogel. Or Bundle. Uh, Torfi was only with us for a short time. He was another early victim of <laughs> Thorgir. Uh, this is the guy who was walking away from Thorgir and didn't hear him because of the wind whistling through a bundle of sticks he was carrying. And when he didn't hear <laughs> Thorgir calling, Thorgir got angry and killed him. Uh, now, if you remember... sounds ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, we were more than a little suspicious of poor Torfi because he only makes this one brief appearance in the Icelandic sagas. And his na- name, Bundle... Is just the thing he's carrying. Yes. Uh, essentially, he's evidence for the written or formalist argument for the sagas, or at least for this saga, that they are historical storytelling rather than an attempt to accurately record history. I'm also including him here because I like the nickname Bundle. Okay. Hakil Snorri. Uh, Snorri is the short-tempered guy who you just talked about who tried stabbing Thorgir's horse and then hid in a shed and then tr- tried stabbing Thorgir through the roof. His name, Hakils, means hind leg or bow leg, and it's a word that gets used to describe the curved leg of an animal hide. Now, because of that, it's got a potential meaning of curved leg or bow-legged. And that's interesting to me, at least somewhat, uh, that it might mean bow-legged Snorri, but I'm really just using him to lead into his son, Helgi Inviti. Yeah. Before you get to Helgi, yeah. isn't it also possible possible that Hakil Snorri is similar to Torvi Bundle? Because one of the things that Hakil Snorri does is go out with a spear and wound a couple of the horses. You know, I thought about that. Possibly and I stabbing ju- them in the right. uh, the hind leg. Right. Although th- that was the problem is that, you know, I don't know that it's ever made clear where exactly the horse gets stabbed. That's correct. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like it would be a bit of a reach to assume he was stabbing in the hind leg and then extrapolate a nickname from that. 
Well, given that you put them both right next to each other, I'm going to say it's quite possible. There, you can say that if you want. That's what I did. Just don't don't actually expect anyone to believe you. Uh, Helgi Inviti, the son of Hakilsnori, uh, Helgi the White. Uh, like every saga, there are a few color names in this one. Uh, Hogni the White, Olaf the White, Thorsten the Red. Uh, Helgi the White is interesting. You usually, you mm-hmm. usually skip over color nicknames. I do. And yet you're drawing our attention to this I'm one. I'm drawing your attention to this one. He's an interesting case, which is why I'm including I'm intrigued. It. Go ahead. The nickname White can be a reference to a person having white hair, or to a man who's particularly holy, or, and sometimes it is, a shameful name connected to cowardice. Whiteness due to a lack of courageous blood. We still have that association in English, which is how we get the use of a white feather to shame non-soldiers in World War I, or the idea of a cowardly person having a lily-white liver. Mm -hmm. Now, Helgi is the son of Hakil Snorri, but where his father was known for a short temper and a difficult personality, Helgi is a popular and peaceable man with a great-looking head of hair. Uh, His nickname is Helgi the White, but the author is careful to explain that the nickname is not because anyone thinks of Helgi as cowardly, but because that fantastic mane of hair is whitish. Presumably, Helgi has had to explain his name a few times and grew his hair extra long as Exhibit A. Uh, (laughs) One, I like the idea of a guy who is constantly having to explain his nickname uh, rather like the the man in England in the 13th century who had his uh, ear uh, kicked off by a horse and carried a letter explaining that he, his ear was not cut off for thieving, but it was actually the result of an accident. Uh, <laughs> this is a man who clearly you know is dealing with a nickname that potentially is quite sort of unmanning and has to deal with the problem of that. But I like that the author also breaks into the narrative to explain the nickname to us. We rarely get that kind of thing where we get a why the nickname is apart from just seeing it happen. So I appreciate I, that. Uh, I'm less interested in Helgi Inviti. I'm far more interested in uh, Tony One Ear. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different story. We'll get into that another time. Okay. Uh, Audi Lusa. Audi the Louse. Prepare to oh, squirm, yes. Andy. Uh, Audi's the guy with the head and hood full of well-fed parasites. But where does his nickname come from, John? I don't know. Explain that to me. Well, I'm going to try to get to the bottom of this (laughs) mystery. It's one of those great saga mysteries. Uh, I'm going to see if I can plumb the depths. See if I can Mm -hmm. scratch this mystery and find out where it is. Well, that's why we got you here. Uh, That's that's your job. Uh, Thormod meets Audi in Greenland and trades that comfy black and white snuggy coat of his for Audi's Technicolor Nightmare Cloak to use as a disguise. (laughs) It worked, but at what cost, Andy? (laughs) <laughs> yes. Audi's nickname isn't really up for debate, right? The, the name Lusa is obviously the same word as Laos. Uh, mm-hmm. What interests me is what is is what the connotations of the name might be. This is something that non-medievalists, I think, often get wrong about the Middle Ages. Hygiene wasn't the same as what we practice, but it was just as socially determined as our own rules. Yes. People washed. People changed their underwear. They brushed their hair regularly and so on. Lice and other parasites were definitely a problem, but they were a problem. They weren't an mm-hmm. inevitable part of life. They were a common misfortune. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catherine Harvey points out that people complaining about conditions during a siege or in a difficult winter would often complain about lice, meaning that it was an experience they, that they associated with this unpleasant time. Right? Parasites weren't something you just shrugged off or learned to live with. They were awful, and having them literally and figuratively sucked. Yeah. 
medieval people yeah. often believed that lice were generated by uncleanness. Uh, Albertus Magnus called lice a vermin which is generated from the putrescence at the edge of a person's pores, or which mm. is amassed from it as it is warmed by the person's heat in the folds of his clothing. Interesting. In other words, from their point of view, it was generated by the body. And so, therefore, it was likely to be worse in an unclean or unbalanced body. In other words, uh, it's an unfortunate reality that people had lice and parasitic worms, but there's plenty of evidence that it was seen as curable. People who had lice persistently were seen as bearing some responsibility for their own condition. Uh, incidentally, some of the cures actually could work. Uh, there were what amounted to herbal shampoos, which could actually kill lice and lice eggs. Uh, unfortunately, they sometimes mixed in things like mercury or other poisons. Well, uh, that's which was not a great idea. Yeah, unnecessary and could make the patient, you know, sick or dead. Uh, <laughs> all these other behaviors are in keeping with the idea of an infested person having poor hygiene. Remember, we're also told that he was a repellent person whose clothes were rags and tatters and whose appearance in general was off-putting. Mm -hmm. Ultimately calling him Audie the Louse, not Audie Lice, but Audie the Louse, implies that his infested scalp and hood were the exception, not the norm, and that Audie himself was the lousy one. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to put a couple of sources up on the site for this, actually. Uh, actually, Andy's going to put the sources on the site. Uh, in case anybody wants to learn more about this stuff, um, I... Found, found it really interesting. I went down a really sort of long rabbit hole on this one. Uh, are those um, uh, open source materials, John? Or are they things yes, you they have are. to have a university yes, library nope. access? Uh, okay, those, are, those are mostly open source materials. Uh, then I will put them up. Excellent. Moving Looking on. for those in the show notes. Yep. Uh, we've got Thormod Bersesson, who is something of a prodigy in the use of pseudonyms. I don't know why I forgot all about him. I was like, yep. who? I know, I know you've got two more. Yep. This is uh, the next. And I was like, who's the next one? I know what the last <laughs> one's going to be. Uh, Thormod is variously known as Vigfus, Audi, Ogtrig, Tortrig, Torod, Osvif, and Grimm. And, of course, his actual oh. nickname, Colbrin's Poet. I don't think you can count the things that he calls himself when he's about to kill someone. I mean, I, Those most of these, Right. Most of these are not nicknames. So that's fair. Mm -hmm. uh, this is really only about the Colbrin thing. But I wanted to acknowledge that Thormod might be called or calls himself by more false names than any other figure we've read about so far. I think that part is true. He doesn't uh, just rely on the old guest right, nickname. Right, or, he, He's or trying new ones every time. Uh, yeah. Never repeats himself. And good either. on him for that. Absolutely. Uh, well, he's no, a poet. He's he's not going to be caught out well, there just repeating himself. Well, uh, no, of course he wouldn't do that. Now let's get to why he's called <laughs> Colburn's poet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I walked into that one. Yeah, you did. <laughs> um, so this name does have some layers to it. Uh, calling uh, Thormod Colburn's poet is a way of tagging Thormod with a twin accusation. One is of plagiarizing himself, Andy. That's true. <laughs> uh, and the other is with the memory of one of the more embarrassing episodes of his career. Uh, yes. Thormod wrote a series of poems praising a woman called Colburn during the same period that he'd been making overtures to another woman named Thordis. Now, remember, he'd taken a break from wooing Thordis after Thordis's mother, Grima, had had Thormod attacked for seducing her daughter. This is the attack where Thormod lost the use of his right arm. Mm -hmm. So this is already awkward. And then Thormod, when he is reunited with Thordis, tries to claim that the Colburn poems were actually written for Thordis. Does a little yes. editing on the fly and repeats the poems. 
This leads to Colbrin appearing in Thormod's dreams and threatening to destroy his eyes if he doesn't confess what he's done. And Thormod barely avoids having his eyes burst out of his head, by the way. Uh, so the name Colbrin's poet marks Thormod as a man who was busted multiple times while attempting to <laughs> two-time the women of his district. Yeah. The final Classic layer of Thormod. this... Yeah, it is. Uh, and the final layer of this, by the way, is that Colbrin is itself a nickname. Colbrin's real name yes. is Thorbjorg, and she's called Colbrin, Colbrow, for her black eyebrows. I like the name, and I love the story behind it, but it's not a winner for the best. It's pretty no, humiliating. But, uh, pretty humiliating. But great. Well, I like uh, that you added the the textures, the layers to mm-hmm, this uh, mm-hmm. this particular nickname, because you would just think uh, Thormod Colbrun's poet. He's named as the 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 lover of Colbrun, but no, it's uh, there's right. a couple sides to that. It's a little so more. It's a little complicated. A little bit less uh, uh, less easy to deal with than that. It's a little bit more embarrassing. Yeah. No, I like that. Thank you for helping us appreciate that a little bit more. Now, well done. Th- you're welcome. Uh, and finally, Andy, I know you've been waiting for this. We have Helgi Celsesta. Saving the best for last. I know. This is obviously going to be the Andy Franger pick for best nickname. We know this. Absolutely. But Helgi is more than just a well-rounded saga figure, Andy. <laughs> His nickname, Seal's Testicle, has been a matter Go of ahead. interest for obvious reasons. Uh, unfortunately, mm. none of my usual sources were much help. Uh, Zwega right. just defines the nickname as Seal's Testicle, while Cleesby and Vikvason uses the cop-out of adding a nickname in False Brothers Saga. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, they love doing that. Uh, there's some very, very limited evidence here uh, for the use of seals' testicles in medicine, uh, but that does seem to be mostly an Eastern thing. I found, mm-hmm. and this tells you how much time I spent on this, I found a 13th century Chinese medical text that uses seal testicle as a treatment for cold and, em- and emaciation. Okay. And that's probably not going to help us here. Interesting that it is the correct century, but it's probably not going to help us otherwise. Okay. The most likely significance of the name is that Helgi is known for his cowardice. Uh, he admits that his best combat skill is running, uh, and Ilugi comments that he might be th- that that might be thought a coward's skill. So it's very possible that the seal's testicle thing is a joke about retreating or disappearing, or just about lacking balls, because seal testicles are in fact hidden. I mean. After a quarter of an hour of internet searching, what I learned uh, was, and by the way, these these searches almost certainly got me put on a list somewhere, uh, but I I ended up reading an article from 1998 with the very promising title, Reproductive Thermoregulation in Marine Mammals. So, like, as you're talking, I looked up seal's testicles, because I I can't believe I haven't looked them up yet. Yep. Uh, I'm looking at some seal balls right now. No, you're looking at sea lion balls, Andy. Am I now? Yep. Oh, you're right. I am looking at sea lion balls. And you know, oh, you know how I know I've that? Because I am on a government list somewhere for the searches I did. <laughs> it turns I mean, some out. Some of these are really impressive. <laughs> yes, they are. And also, sea lions apparently love nothing better than to sit around and airing themselves out, as it were. Yeah, uh, but a seal. But seals and whales and pinnipeds all have internal mm-hmm. scrotum. Uh, sure. And so there's a whole there was a question for a long time about how they go about keeping themselves cooled, because of course sperm need to be kept cool. Uh, yes. Turns out that male seals and whales have an unusual vascular system that uses cooled blood from the skin to lower the temperature of their testicles. Mm. Uh, so their testicles are not actually visible, which uh, might be getting us somewhere. Okay. Uh, I rejected the nickname was a commentary on the idea of Helgi's unusual testicular thermoregulation. And instead, I'm going with the no balls reasoning. 
Uh, Helgi is definitely <laughs> called Celsesta, though. Uh, yeah. Or seal testicle, singular. Which suggests a final possibility. That Helgi has mm. noticeably asymmetrical testes, with one either undescended or otherwise missing. Yes. Uh, I love that. It, I mean, what whatever the reason, mm-hmm. people have been taking a, a good long look oh, yes, they at have. him at, in at, the bathhouse yes, or yes. wherever. Uh, yes. Helgi has been turning his head and coughing for centuries uh, for, <laughs> our, for our edification. Uh, now, uh, you can oh. choose which of these possibilities works for you. But uh, I also want to point out that Carol Clover uh, marks Helgi's inclusion in this saga as an entirely pointless digression in the larger narrative. Jonas Christensen. Well, Jonas Christensen calls his introduction trivial and inconsequential. Okay. And if we're being honest, they've probably got a point. I mean, if you want to think that, yeah. I, you know, but... the story would not be significantly different if Helgi had never introduced himself or the Seal Ball run. But I'd argue that it'd be a poorer story without his presence. If Seal Ball run's going to happen, mm-hmm. it has to be based on this story, right? So. Yeah. The story had to be written had with to be Seal there. Ball in it. And I would also I would also say to Carol Clover and to Jonas Christensen that picking on Helgi Seal's testicle is just really going after low-hanging fruit. Yes. Fair enough. Okay. I'm not going to laugh at that one. Take that. <laughs> how, how do you like that? I love it. So, uh, okay. Think, so, uh, well, I don't think we have to think at all. I think uh, Seal's yeah. testicle is yeah. the, the clear and obvious winner of this and probably much more. Uh, it's a hell of a be, nickname. Could be. I don't want to. We're not going to tip our hand. You know who knows? No, uh, who knows? Yeah, I don't I even think, remember the other nicknames that uh, are he will be going up against. It's time to throw Helgi some kind of a party in celebration of his award. Um, probably not a ball. Uh, yeah, but some kind of a party. Congratulations! Unfortunately, um, we left his award in uh, California, and he's going to have to run out there and get it. But I oh, think no problem. he can handle that. Yeah, he'll be I fine. Think he can handle that. Yeah. So, oh, there he's going. He's running away. All right. He's going to go get that in his short shorts. Uh, real proud to see him. <laughs> Good luck with that. Notable Witticisms. All right. Notable Witticisms is our opportunity to celebrate the Saga Maker's art, to clear away the pedophog created by two hypnagogues, mm-hmm. and catalog the dialogue from first prologue to epilogue to leave the listeners all agog at a Saga Writer philologue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, what my esteemed but very ridiculous colleague is trying to say <laughs> is that Notable Witticisms is a chance to appreciate the saga lines and phrasings that tickle our fancy. Isn't that right? That's what I said, more or less. But yes, uh-huh. this this category is where we review the clever one-liners, the subtle sarcasms, and the snappy bits of writing that we all love so well. Andy, this is another one of this saga's strong categories. What do we got? It is. All right. Well, I, you know, I came out of the gate swinging on Best Bloodshed with a killer candidate. Uh, I'm going to go for something a little more subtle to start out here, if that's all right with you. Subtle, huh? That's Yeah, that, that's your wheelhouse, Andy. Subtle. Mm-hmm. I'm deeply curious about what you consider to be subtle. Yeah. Well, this one also comes from early in the text when uh, Thorgar and Thormod were seeking shelter from a terrible storm at the home of Sigurfljot, a kind and intelligent woman who's had some in trouble with a couple of local bullies, which you uh, talked about in the nickname section. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say, um, aren't Thorger and Thormod technically local bullies? Well, not in this particular region, but uh, I'm sure if you give them some time, they can work something out. But for now, Sigurfljot challenges them to deal with these bullies. They are a brute called Ingolf and his son, Thorbrand, who you uh, you had talked about. Uh, now, when they arrive at the farm, Thorger says something like, 
You may have heard of the great Thorgeir Haverson and his trusty companion Thormod Bearsson. Well, now you've got a chance to see them in the flesh. <laughs> He's always the showman, that Thorgeir. He is. He really is the hero you love to hate. Now, Thorbrand and Ingolf aren't very impressed by all of this. They just want to know why these two have arrived on their property with other men so early in the morning. And Thorgeir demands that they return all the property that they've stolen, or they can try to defend it with their lives. I like the idea that their main objection is that it's so early in the morning. Come back and kill us later, for God's sake. We haven't had our coffee. We were sleeping. (laughs) Now, Thorbrand isn't impressed by any of this. He says, uh, no. What we took, we took like men, and bravely, too. We're not about to part with it now. As for you, Thorgir, I think you'll sooner be breakfasting on my spear than on my property. Which is not bad. And Thorgir replies, Like others in my family, I can prophesy from my dreams. And I've dreamt a good deal about myself. But very little about you. What I have dreamt will happen. Your lady hell will embrace you and all your property will become forfeit. Ill-gotten mm-hmm. gains never come to any good. See, I like the way that one builds. Right? There's mm-hmm. the quick exchange about Thorger and Thorma's reputation. Then the line about breakfasting on a spear, which is a great line. And finally, yeah. Thorger's killer insult, I've never dreamed about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I don't even think about you, dude. Which highlights how unimportant Ingolf and Thorbrand are to Thorgir and ultimately to this saga. Yeah, it's a great insult and thus a worthy candidate for notable witticism. But it's not the only one. What else have we got there, John? Uh, Well, I mean, my first one is just a quick one. I don't think it's got the chops to win, but it needs to be in the conversation. Earlier, we talked about Thorgir casually murdering a shepherd as he rode past. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, a disturbing insight into Thorgir's character, given to us by the Flat Air Book version of the saga, um, yep. makes it a bit harder to like Thorgir after that display of casual cruelty. Uh, but yep. there it is. Uh, that's going to definitely weigh on us if we have to choose. If one of us has to choose him for Thingman, we'll have to see. Um, mm. Yeah, no, it was one of the most unnecessarily cruel acts of violence we've seen in all the sagas, yeah. uh, and. Thorger's explanation, if we can call it that, was that his reason was the man stood so well poised for the blow. (laughs) It's bleakly funny, and as I said earlier, it provides a real insight into who Thorger is. Yeah, I like it, John. Short and sweet. See, I can be brief when I want to. Yes, uh, that is a great one. It's disturbing, but it's great. Uh, My next candidate for notable witticism comes from that brief period that Thorger is in the royal service of King Olaf Haraldsson of Norway. In, uh, in this episode, Thorgir is on a mission to avenge the wounding of one of the king's men by a man named Thorir. Now, Thorgir travels from Norway to Iceland seeking out this Thorir on behalf of King Olaf. He, well, he does stop to build a hole in Reckhaler first. It takes him, like, most of a year. Well, I mean, the summer months are valuable. You don't want to sure. use them wandering around sure. looking for some guy. But, uh, you know, Thorgir and Thormod both like to take their time when on king's business, and it's no different here. Uh, but when he does get around to it, when winter rolls around, he, he locates Thorir at a farm up in Hrofa in the north. Um, when he arrives at Thorir's door, he announces his purpose, as he almost always does. And he says, The reason I'm here is to find out what you intend to do to repay King Olaf honorably for the shameful deed you've committed on his follower. Thorir listens to this with a spear in his hand as he stands at the threshold of his doorway. And he says something like, And how does any of that concern you? It concerns me because it concerns the king. I'm here on his behalf. 
Right? And Thor is still not impressed. He says, you may be here on the king's behalf, but I seriously doubt these are the king's words you're speaking. Yeah, and Thorgeir responds, It may be true that you don't hear him speak personally, but it may well be that you'll feel his power. And with that, he thrusts his spear through Thorir's chest, and uh, that's the end. Uh, this one, like I said, um, it's great, uh, but it probably won't win, but it deserves recognition. And sometimes it's an honor just to be nominated. I, I feel like that one that one smacks of being uh, planned in advance. You know, That one doesn't feel well, like an off-the-cuff comment. Oh, so he's he's like wandering up there in the winter. Right. It's cold, he's saying, and he's like, "What oh, am I going to say? I got to say uh, something cool, something about his power. I'm going to say he's going to feel his power. Yeah, that's going to do it. <laughs> yeah, gonna stab him after it. I say that because then I'll so he's be, trying to work it in. Somehow. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Sure. Uh, okay, now the next one that I have down is one that we skipped past uh, in a doomed effort at picking up the pace of our discussion of the saga. Yeah, well, we are optimists at heart, aren't we? Oh yeah, yeah. Sunshine and unicorns. So this takes place when <laughs> Thormod was sent to Greenland on Skuff's ship to hunt down Thorgrim the Troll. Oh, yes, yes, uh, yes. He and another passenger were just rubbing each other the wrong way. The other guy was called Guest, mm-hmm. but we learned later on that he was actually uh, Helgustaner, uh, and that he was the other guy sent by King Olaf to take revenge for the death of Thorger Haverson. Yeah. And the two of them just didn't get along especially well. Well, I mean, they're essentially competing to be the hand of Olaf's vengeance, although uh, they don't know that, do they? Well, Thormod definitely doesn't, uh, but he's not traveling incognito, so I don't know what Helgastainer knows about him. Well, there's definitely friction there, so you would assume that one of them knows something. You, you'd at well, least hope so. Yeah, I'm right. Um, or maybe they just don't like each other's faces. Uh, <laughs> that uh, Maybe maybe uh, uh, Helgastainer doesn't like black curly hair. Who knows? There uh, you go. That friction between them keeps up until Skuff's ship hits bad weather. Guest proves to have the strength of two men and keeps the ship from blowing apart. When the sailor is splintered and the sail blown overboard, Guest is the one to haul it back in, despite it being sort of filled with seawater. Uh, Skuff then asks Thormod, who's known for his crafting skills, to put the sail yard back together. And Thormod responds, I haven't got that skill. Why don't you ask Guest to do the repairs? He's so strong, he can just ram the pieces back together. It's a snarky shot at Guest, who's been the hero of the trip so far. So now that Thormod's skills are needed, he can't resist a little jealous grousing. Absolutely. But uh, I don't think Skuff is impressed by this uh, solution. So, uh, you know, he's trying to get the sail yard repaired so that they don't die at sea. So he leaves Thormod... Yes, he leaves Thormod grousing and he heads over to Guest and and he says to him, could you please repair the sail yard? And Guest is... Unfortunately, also feeling a bit grumpy. And he says, I don't have the skill. Why don't you go and ask Thormod to do it? He has such a way with words, I'm sure he could just charm them back together. Mm-hmm. And that's another great line. Uh, but of course, you know, the two men put aside their differences and they actually work together and get the job done. Something that they're going to have to do again if they both want to get out of Greenland alive after avenging Thorgeir. Yeah, and this is a great example of how the sagas, I think, underplay some of their best moments. Right? Mm. Thormod and Guest are snarking at each other, but they're also kind of feeling each other out. Right? They're complimenting yeah. and insulting each other sort of simultaneously in what I think I can probably call a snarklement. It's a, a snarklement, kind of, okay. Yes, it's a kind of test, and they both pass, uh, ending up with a working relationship that saves them both and the entire ship. Oh, snarklements, I think that is a... You're on to something here, John. You know? A snarklement uh, is something I I like quite a lot. See? 
I think uh, that's, that, probably, there it is. There's the million dollar idea. Uh, somebody yeah. patent that. Let's patent that. But let's sell it. Star Clements. The important. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Well, no, it's the important thing to notice is that uh, uh, Thormod is the better woodworker here, so he does sort of get his own back. Right, Guest is the stronger man, but Thormod is the more skilled man because um, mm. he he fixes his half of the salyard perfectly the first time, where Guest has to then recarve his to make it fit properly. Uh, so they both had a chance to outperform the other, right? It helps to restore the balance between them. Uh, those well, the strength and, and skill complement each other, you know? Right, right. And and that the balance snarklements uh, highlight the shift from foes to companions. And yeah, that's it exactly. Well, uh, well said. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go right into another one because if I don't claim it, I know okay. you're going to and I want it. Okay, well, then I'm pretty sure I know what this is. <laughs> Please I'm do. I'm sure you do. With, uh, yes, you have we, my permission. We talked earlier about Thormod's struggle with Folger Hummingson. Oh, yes, we did. Yes. After two, killing two of Folger's brothers, Thormod barely managed to survive this fight with Folger by dropping the man's pants, tangling him up, and then drowning him in the sea. And we, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say here, I think that what you're about to say has a much better chance of winning this category mm-hmm. than, than Best Bloodshed. Well, I, I, you know, I would have been happy to see it win the other, but that's fine. Um the fight nearly kills Thormod, but as he lies almost dead on a rock in the bay, because he hasn't been able to get to shore, he can only get to yeah. a scary and kind of drag himself up there, um, his thoughts somewhat predictably turn to poetry, because he's Thormod. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Skuff and Bjarni find him bleeding, broken, and probably hypothermic on the rock, he whispers a poem to them about how his night is gone. I dodged and darted in the salty brine. And strangely, Falger's arse bobbed up and down and gaped at me. The fool died a shameful death. I saw the depths of depravity on that base god of sword storms. Then he swung dead eyes on me and grinned. Oh, man. There's there's a lot happening there. (laughs) Yeah. For, For one thing, this is a bit of revisionism by Thormod. Because Falger uh-huh. was absolutely going to kill him until yes. Thormod managed to pull Falger's trousers down and, and tangle him up in his own pants and drown him. But yeah, you know. uh, but I don't know if uh, we gave enough credit to Thormod's description here. Calling yes. an, calling an enemy's anus the depths of depravity uh, <laughs> can either be a scatological or a sexual joke. Uh, yeah. But combining it with the almost anthropomorphizing description of the buttocks gaping at him. Uh, before turning into Falger's Rictus of Death is a well-turned piece of poetic invention. Uh, brilliant. I, look, I, I honestly, I don't know if this is a winner or not, but I, I know that, like Thormod, I'm going to be haunted by Falger's ghostly buttocks bobbing in the briny sea for a very long time. <laughs> Can you imagine, John, let's, let's just imagine for a moment that Falger is a real man who fought Thormod. Yep. At some point in real history. Yeah. And Thormod, who is a real poet who did exist, (laughs) wrote a poem about it to commemorate the occasion. Yeah. Yeah. And this man, Falger, who existed in the real world, is remembered only by this moment. Yep. His salted hams floating in the sea. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh, man. John, I don't think there's any time I laughed harder in, in behind <laughs> behind the scenes of of Saga thing than when I asked that we had a conversation where I was like, "Why the word gaping?" 
Right. And we went through of, or maybe we did it on the podcast, <laughs> actually. I don't remember. Um, but discovering that that is, in fact, the, yep. it's exactly that what is, is the said in the, yep. in the text. Yep. What a great poem. I mean, <laughs> it, that was, you know, as many, many things in this text, uh, it was a brilliant bit of best of bloodicism right there. Um, and it's, it's going to be hard to beat. And snarky poems and quips that make light of his victims, that's one of Thormod's most remarkable talents. Mm-hmm. I mean, another good example of this is his handling of King Harold Hardrada's man who comes in to see Thormod and the supporters of the former King Olaf suffering from their wounds in a barn after the Battle of Stiklestad. Do you remember this? Oh, yes. Thormod's last great contribution to the saga. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah. Yeah, the saga tells us that the barn is full of men, many of whom are gravely hurt, many near death, and Thormod is among them, having taken a bad arrow wound. Now, some of their wounds are so deep and terrible that the saga author tells us they were making an awful sound. Not the men, right? right. right? Yeah, to be clear, the wounds were making the sound, right? Not the men. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And at at some point, a man from Trondheim, one of the supporters of King Harold, he pops in to see what's going on. And when he sees all the wounded men and hears the terrible sounds in the barn, he makes a joke, saying, No wonder your king didn't fare better against us in battle. Look how feeble his men are. They can barely handle their wounds without screaming. Now, Thormod hears this and he takes offense at the comment. And he calls the man over and he says, It may be that someone here lacks courage. Perhaps my wound doesn't seem so bad to you. And then he exposes this wound and invites Harold Man to take and invites Harold Man to take a closer look. And as this man leans in to get a better look at the wound, Thormod swings his axe and deals him a bad wound. The man screams out and groans loudly. And and Thormod says, I knew someone here was spineless. You're a hypocrite, looking for courage in others when you lack such courage yourself. Listen to how you moan and wail over one small injury. Now, this is, as you said, one of Thormod's final lines in the text, and it is a good one. Another strong bloodshed witticism combo from uh, Colburn's Poet. All right. I know you've got this weird hate on for the variant manuscripts of this saga, but we have to include, well, you know, uh, we have to include the other version of the story as part of this. Yes, we do. In the Flathair book version, uh, Thormod's attack on the Trondheim man is slightly more vicious. He actually chops off both the man's buttocks mm-hmm. and then says, Well, let's hear no groaning from you now. <laughs> it's so the, good. It's the, man, good the man, and I love this detail, screams and then feels for his hinder with both hands. Uh, <laughs> and Thormod acts disappointed in him. What a hypocrite you are, asking for courage from other men when you lack courage yourself. You're surrounded by men who are severely wounded, but not one of them complains. Yet you bleat like a she-goat in heat and whinny like a mare over one small flesh wound. <laughs> this is uh, Thormod at the end of his life and the height of his snarking game. Uh, yeah. I know the bleat like a she-goat in heat is an evocative line, uh, and I appreciate it. But I also really like the admonishing tone he takes after lopping off the man's us. Well, let's hear no groaning from you now. It's, that's the understated calm that makes a witticism work. It is. It's a good one. I really, really like it. Um, I the, the the thing about the flat hair book, as we we reviewed, you know, several moments from the flat hair. Mm-hmm. It it's so much more flowery, and it fleshes yeah. out moments yeah. like this 
in a way that you know is to me reeks of the uh, you know thirteenth fourteenth century right. romance tradition. Uh, but but so brilliantly so I, yeah. I love it. Remember the flyer. I books wish we had. Go ahead. The flyer book's also the one that provides us with the description of um, Ale the Fool shaking in all 214 of his bones. That's right, uh, yeah. And all 30 of his teeth and so forth. All this beautiful detail that is left out of the traditional kind of saga mm-hmm. narrative style. I, I wish we had the, the, the full version translated for us to have to have played with because it would have been a, a far more hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it was already a funny saga, but it, it would have been even more interesting and weird and, and funny. Um but yeah, uh, I love it. Um, and with that, we, we, we have yet another nearly impossible task. I mean, how do we sort through this pile of gems here and pick the one that is most deserving of notable witticism? John, what are we going to do here? Well, uh, this is what I'm going to cash in my chip from earlier. Uh, oh. I, uh, I feel quite strongly that the, uh, the buttocks poem uh, is the most sort of indelible line from this poem, this uh, this saga, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that there are plenty of clever lines, and there are a ton of clever lines in this uh, yeah. in this saga. Um, but uh, that poem is just—it's a moment of nasty genius, right? mm-hmm. as you said, right? It's sort of—it's not just killing them. He didn't just kill the man; he killed his reputation forever. Yep, <laughs> or as long as people are willing to read this thing, right? Um. And and we just helped preserve it and spread it to far That's more right. people. <laughs> so and I want to point out that Folger never did anything wrong. He didn't do anything to this guy. <laughs> no, he, he's guilty of being related to uh, to Thorgrim Troll. Yep. That's and of trying to avenge his two dead brothers. Like the man oh. did nothing wrong. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So uh, uh, I don't think you needed to cash in your chip. I think uh, in well, my mind that was always going to win. It's right. so good. It's yep. just so good. Very good. Um, that's hard. That's going to be hard to beat. Again, I think yeah. Saga of the Sworn Brothers. Say what you want about it. It's going to be hard to beat when it comes to the uh, the quarter court. Yep, it's got some good stuff. Yep. All Congratulations, right. Thormod. Outlawry. In our outlawry section, we review the saga's various antagonists, villains, and morally questionable characters. Which now in the saga our... is essentially all of them. Yes. <laughs> yes. Good luck finding someone who's not. <laughs> Um, but we're gonna we're gonna try our best to see things from their point of view before we decide which one is most deserving of outlawry. Now, all the outlaws are banished permanently uh, once they are outlawed uh, from our imagined Iceland, unless, of course, we decide on a judgment of lesser outlawry, in which case they are kicked out for a period of three years. Which is silly, and we admit that. Yes, of course, the whole thing, everything we do, is pretty silly. Uh, but that's what that's we fair. do here, John. It's what the people come to the podcast for. Now, uh, I have a pretty good sense of who I think should be outlawed, John, but... Uh... No, no carts before horses here, Andy. Mm. As you said, it is our duty to review the various antagonists and villains and more of the questionable characters. Don't rush to the end. Of course, because what I was actually going to say is I have a pretty good sense of who I think should be outlawed, but we need to do our due diligence and review all the possible candidates. Excellent. That makes for riveting podcasting. Due diligence. That's people what people tune in for. love some due diligence. So uh, where do you want to Heck start, yeah. buddy? Uh, well, I just want to start by acknowledging that uh, Thorarin the Overbearing and Thorgrim Troll have to be on the table. Oh, definitely. Uh, or at least Thorarin does. Wait a minute now. I mean, Thorgrim Troll. That's I'll explain. The whole last part of the saga is about killing I'll him. I'll explain. 
we have always had a policy of only outlawing people who are either Icelanders or commit their crimes in Iceland. Well. Uh, right. And these are the guys who kill Thorger Havarsson. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we might reasonably argue that they're doing a public service by taking Thorger down, but the <laughs> fact remains that it's a pretty dastardly act, especially since they also kill Thorger's friends and crew who didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Also, they explicitly make a truce with Thorger and then betray it. True. Thorarin also cuts off Thorger's head, as you pointed out, and keeps it for an entire winter in order to laugh at it, which is taking things pretty far. Yeah. Now, the tricky thing is that Thorarin is from northern Iceland, but Thorgrim is a Greenlander. Yeah. If we want to get technical about it, the attack is ship to ship without Thorgrim ever setting foot in Iceland until after the battle is over. Not true. (laughs) That's not true, because they they set up all of their goods on the land. Oh, you think think Thorgrim? You think Thorarin the overbearing... And Thorgrim the Troll are setting up their own goods booth? You don't think their soldiers, their men are doing that? You're going to tell me that these guys that spent so long at sea are going to get to Iceland and they're not going to step off the boat? I mean, these are these are seamen, Andy. These are men who... <laughs> these are men who like the, the feel of the, the, the deck moving under their feet. Uh-huh. Get out of here. It's the land that feels unsteady to them. No, I don't buy it. Uh, Thorgrim Troll salt, is definitely... Andy. Definitely a viable candidate. You're thinking like a lover. Uh, he, he assaults he assaults Thorgair in Icelandic waters, right on the shore. In Icelandic waters? Do we now yes. accept that Iceland has modern concepts of water rights? <laughs> uh, well, we, uh, we can get into we can get into the legal technicalities about whether uh, Thorgrim is subject to Icelandic outlawry. That's fine. He I mean, is. we don't we don't need to, and he is, but it's a debatable point. Uh, Thorarin is definitely a possibility, though, and yes, Thorgrim yes. can certainly be brought along with him. Yeah, I think they're both worthy of consideration. Uh, I would like to throw in two minor characters for consideration as well. Uh, the first right. one is going to be Yolv, and the second is Kolbach. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, many of you might be asking yourselves, who the heck are Yolv and Kolbach? Uh, are they even worth considering here if, if we can't remember them? Uh, Andy, you want to answer those questions? Sure, yeah. Yolv appeared in Chapter 2, which is why no one will remember him without a little prompting. But yeah. he is the guy who was introduced early on as a kind of a Hrafenkel type. Uh, he was a chieftain. Right. Member. Yeah, he's a difficult man with great power who rarely paid compensation for those he killed. That's right, yes. Yeah, he's an Oyavnadmadr. Yes, yes. Uh, but I feel like you just wanted to say Oyavnadmadr. Is that correct? Uh, Well, I mean, you got me. I wanted to correct Mm. my previous mispronunciations and add an entirely new mispronunciation. Uh, Aren't you clever? Why don't you you, uh, go ahead and tell the people why we're including him here? Well, because, you know, again, due diligence, uh, Yolv borrowed a horse from Havar, Thorgir's father, and he promised to return it on his way back. But he didn't return the horse when the time came, which makes him what, John? A horse thief. A horse thief. And where I come from in our imaginary Iceland, horses are valuable commodities. Horse thieves risk outlawry by the very act, no matter how powerful they are. And I hope you're not forgetting the more important part of this exchange between Yoth and Haver. It was chapter two. What happened? I don't know. I just know he stole a horse. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when Haver tried to take the horse back, yeah. Yod wasn't about to let Haver tell him when to return that horse, and so when Haver tried to take it, Yod ran him through with a spear. 
that did that happen, didn't it? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why I chose to include him here, John. Uh-huh. He is a brute. He's a horse thief. And as I was saying, I was about to say before you did, he's a killer. And that's the Yold I remember. And that's now that now. I, <laughs> now that I think about it, he's a great candidate for outlawry. Just like you planned, huh? Exactly like I planned. Yes, that's the ticket. Mm. Uh, but of course, he uh, he should be included in our discussion for that kind of thing. Uh, Yol is overbearing. He's dishonest. He abuses his power. He steals horses and he kills people without regard for basic decency. He's a classic saga bad guy, a classic all right. All right. outlawry all right. victim. I believe you. Uh, we don't have okay. all night. Uh, what about Callback? Did he uh, steal some candy from the corner store? What's his story? Well, let's do a little quick callback to Colback, if we uh-huh. can. Um, you know who Colback is. I know that. But for the listeners, yeah. he's the guy who Grima, the witch, sent out with his coat stuffed full of magic yarn to kill Thormod. Right. Uh, Thormod had been spending too much time with Grima's daughter, Thordis. Mm-hmm. And even though Grima asked nicely for Thormod to stop visiting so frequently or to propose, he just kept coming. Yes. And that's why she sent her slave, Colback, out to get Thormod. Uh-huh. And he nearly accomplished the mission. With the yarn protecting him from Thormod's sword, Kolbuk managed to get in a good blow on Thormod's arm and could have killed him. Well, that wound would cost Thormod the use of his arm, uh, leaving him permanently disabled. That is correct. And Thormod had to learn to fight left-handed from that point on. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, you know, he did all right. Yeah, because there's nothing wrong with being left-handed, Andy. Well, I mean, there's a problem when you're used to being right-handed and suddenly your right (laughs) arm doesn't work anymore. But yes. I wouldn't know. My right arm has never worked. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, here's the thing about Kolbak, John. While he commits a shameful ambush on Thormod using magic yarn armor, Mm -hmm. he does so at the command of his master, Grima. Are Mm -hmm. we really going to outlaw a slave who's just following orders? Well, no, and... I will say also because Kolbak could have absolutely killed Thormod right there when he, if he wanted to, and he chose mm-hmm. not to. He chose not to. And even though he is outlawed in the saga, I think that there's enough to suggest that we should be a bit more lenient when considering his case. But consider it, we should. Yeah. And we did. No, fair enough. Uh, I wasn't going to consider Kolbak at all. But you're right. He was outlawed in the saga, so it makes sense we'd at least review his case here. All right. Very good. Kolbak, you are free to go. Uh, go ahead and enjoy your life aboard that Viking ship or wherever it is you ended up. Um, John, who do you got next? All right. I'm uh, I'm done dancing around the 800-pound gorilla here, Andy. Can we get oh. serious oh. for a minute and talk about Thorgir Haverson? I think we should. Uh, I mean, legally speaking, this might be the worst protagonist we've ever seen well, in the song. He's no gutter. I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't think we have time to list all his crimes and bad behaviors, but just hit the, let's hit the lowlights. Okay. Uh, Thorgir supports Veglog, a known thief, and protects him from punishment. He attempts to kill Greta Esmunderson, which actually is just not smart. He, he takes up several assassination jobs. In multiple cases, he walks up to the door of a farmhouse and kills a man he's never met before. Mm-hmm. In another case, he kills an Icelander, Thorir of Hrotha, on behalf of the king of Norway. Yeah. He kills Thorgil's Masin rather than share a beached whale carcass. Mm-hmm. He kills Torfi Bundle for not responding to his call fast enough. That one, that he, kills, he kills a shepherd for standing with his head bowed from weariness. Yeah, that's a different version, but okay. He he even thinks about whether he could manage to kill his own blood brother. Well, he does do that. This guy needs to be exiled multiple times over, 
And I really don't think we've come across anyone much worse than him in, among the saga protagonists. Jeez, man. That's pretty harsh. It is, John? but you know what? The other men who have committed more killings had redeeming qualities. And <laughs> Thorgir does not. <laughs> so Gretir has redeeming qualities. Gretir has redeeming qualities. Ale has redeeming qualities. People, Other people who have committed lots of killings, uh, we can say, had reasons for the way they behaved. Uh, well, I, d- I don't see that John, Thorgir no. ever had a reason for his actions apart from his own twisted, twisted reasons. John, at least half of those things that you mentioned, he was either yeah. sent on or they were revenge missions. So some, I mean, yeah, you listed a lot of things I'm, there, but I'm, there I'm was a, say, there's motivation there. There's reason. I, first of all, uh, if... If a revenge mission on behalf of the King of Norway isn't a problem, if assassinating fellow Icelanders for the King of Norway is not a problem, then you and I think very differently about honor, sir. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, but supporting So I guess the thieves, King of Norway is just supposed to let people walk all over him and beat up his I mean, uh, at his least followers. send a Norwegian to do the killing. Well, you know what happens with a Norwegian in Iceland. Yes, I do. I don't think But I'm not really that concerned idea. with whether or not Olaf manages to get revenge. So it's fine with me. <laughs> Well, okay, fine. I think that, you know, I think it's worth considering Thorgir. Uh, but if we're going to consider Thorgir, then we might as well take a look at his buddy, Thormod, as well. Oh, I think that's appropriate. Uh, I was going to bring him up if you didn't. Uh, he may not be as wild as Thorgir, but Thormod's not exactly a saint either. No, far from it. Uh, to no start, choir boy, he. No. no. To start, he is absolutely a participant in the early days of the Sworn Brothers' troublemaking. But there's nothing specific mentioned in the saga for us to work with there. We are told that people who felt cheated by them would complain to Vermin the Slender. And we have to assume that they are probably just taking advantage of their strength and their father's influence to do whatever they want. I think that's about right. Although it's possible they're guilty of taking some things that aren't theirs. Fair. That's possible. Remember, we're frequently given examples of other men like Yolth or Ingolf and Thorbrand who do things not too dissimilar from what Thormod and Thorgir do, and we're meant to judge them for it. Yes, and they are often charged with resolving those particular issues for others. Right, and because they do, I suppose we're we're asked to see them in a slightly different light. But we shouldn't forget that they're also guilty of the same transgressions they're so often asked to address. Mm-hmm. Quite right, yes. Uh, now, that's not to say that Thormod is a terrible person, because if you look at the list of conflicts that he gets involved in, they take one of two shapes. Either he's reacting to the hostilities his love affairs inspire in others, or he's seeking vengeance for Thorgir. He contributes only a handful of men to the body count, and with the exception of Lothan, all of Thormod's big kills are connected to his oath that he would avenge his sworn brother. He kills Thorgrim Troll, his nephews, and some of their companions. That's who he's in charge of. Or that's who he's responsible for. Um, I'm going for. to push back a little bit on that because um, he's very much a part of attacks that Thorgir con- conducts. And we are explicitly told that he's the one who kills Thorbrand Ingolfson. Yeah, but those, he, were, and his son. but those are two thieves that are disrupting the balance of the region. I mean, and, but to claim that all of his kills are connected to his oath to avenge his brother is a bit No, of, that's fair. I said most of, I believe I said okay, most of. Okay. You know, uh, not obviously well, he's so involved in other things. Yeah. But essentially what Thormod does is arrive in Greenland and wipe out almost everyone mentioned at the beginning of the Greenland section, and thus essentially the aristocracy of Greenland. Well, you know, they're all there in the first part of chapter 21, yeah, and 
most of the males <laughs> mentioned there die. But the yep. point is, yep. I don't think we can reasonably consider outlawry for Thormoth if we're looking at the killings. They're vengeance killings, and we don't usually outlaw people for vengeance killings because that's mm-hmm. part of the the culture and the system of justice in this Iceland that we're imagining. In his fights with both Kolbak and Lothan, the two major conflicts that erupt over his love affairs, Thormald was ambushed. So I can't really blame him for defending Ooh. himself in either case. Now, you're going to oh, bring up wait Lothan. wait a second. Well, go ahead. Wait a Funny. second. Go ahead. First of all, yes, Kolbak was an ambush. Uh, Lothan was not an ambush. Oh, really? Uh, it was absolutely not. Uh, uh, he was getting forget. on the ship. No, Lothan was holding everyone's cloaks. But no. when he attacks him and kills him, Lothan is standing there holding men's cloaks while they're getting onto the ship. Yes, that's how Lothan dies. But right before that, literally moments before that, Lothan and his men attacked uh, Thormod and knocked him over, were roughhousing him. Maybe not threatening his life, but it was clear no, that that was the next it's actually, step. It's actually uh, quite some time before this that it happens. It's not Look, It's not moments before. This is in Let's cold not blood. bicker and argue about yeah. who put an axe you're, in you're whose at, you're, head. You're at pains here to uh, to uh, bleach Thormod a little grayer uh, than he Look, deserves. Did and I have Lothan, a feeling I know why, sir. Did Lothan physically attack Thormod before uh, Thormod Put an axe in his I head. I mean, look, if we're going to point fingers Did at everybody who physically somebody. rightly that Lothan, Nobody and given his previous arguing. histories, did he assume that his life might be in danger? Yeah, I Nobody think so. here is arguing that Lothan is in the right, but yeah. you are suggesting that Thormod is fully justified in self-defense, and I think that's a stretch given the what text. I'm, all I'm suggesting, John, is I can't really blame him for defending himself in either case. Okay. Are they complex gray areas in, involved in? Sure. But the only <laughs> thing we can say that Thormod is truly guilty of in this saga is seducing young women. Oh, oh, he's definitely guilty of that. Yeah. Um, what's the final count? How many women does he end up with in this saga? Well, there's, uh, there's Thordis, the daughter yeah. of Grima. Then there's Thorbjörg Kolbrun, daughter of Katla. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the third and last one is Sigrid, who is Lothan's girlfriend in Greenland. But, you know... Yeah. Seduction is no minor matter in a culture where the relationships of women are so strictly guarded and uh, so structured by their male relatives. Yes. In other sagas, seductions almost always lead to conflict, uh, sometimes legal, but often physical. Yeah, which is why we shouldn't turn a blind eye to Thorwald's disregard for the families of the women he's with. But Mm -hmm. I think it's worth acknowledging there's no indication in the text that the women aren't equally interested in Thorwald. In fact, Thorbjörg's jealousy prompts her to curse Thormod's eyes when she finds out that he gave poems that he wrote to her for to another woman. Mm-hmm. So while I respect the cultural traditions of the people in these sagas, I don't really have a problem with Thormod spending time with these women who appreciate and seem to reciprocate the kind of attention that Thormod lavishes on them. I'm not sure I can agree with that. I oh, mean, when well, it, I'm not When surprised. it comes to his behavior toward women, Thormod's an absolute cad. Well, I didn't. I didn't say he wasn't. I mean, you know, even aside from the fact that we're talking about a multiple murderer, a man who kills quite a few people who don't deserve it, a man who even King Olaf suggests may have gone too far in his revenge. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm willing to acknowledge he's not as bad as Thorgir, but let's not pretend that he wouldn't be a serious contender if he didn't have Thorgir to draw attention from him. <laughs> so, what? here's what we're arriving at. Yeah. I think we can agree on this. Thormod's not perfect, 
But he's not really outlaw material. Well, no, not in this saga he's not. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of sagas, Thor might be packing his bags. But in this saga, no. Uh, so that means, yes, he's going to be available in the Thingman section. Yes, he will. Uh, the question is whether or not Thorgir will be there by his side or if he'll be on the next boat off the island. What do you think, Johnny? Oh, oh! I think it's time for him to go. Um, the really? Again, the only reason that I'm going to give Thormod a pass is because he's standing in the shadow of the absolute Washington's monument of horrors that Thorgir perpetrates over the course of the sun. <laughs> uh, but, but what if, what if, John, just this once, mm-hmm. we turn a blind eye and say, we like <laughs> our protagonists. <laughs> And maybe we want both of them to yeah. make it through. Uh, you know what? Just for political reasons, you know. Uh, knowing as I do uh, who won the coin toss for picking Thingman first, mm-hmm. obviously there's an appeal to me in allowing that to pass, but I can't do it. Uh, oh, really? Thorgir, <gasps> oh, Thorgir is absolutely uh, the figure to outlaw in this saga. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, John is a man of honor. <laughs> I approached him with the apple, and he said, nay, nay. <laughs> nay, nay, I'm not hungry. It's not for me. I have no interest in the wisdom of the ages. I have no interest in becoming <laughs> equal to God. Oh, I'm so proud of you. All right, then. Thorgare, I think it's well-deserved. He's got to go. Big man. All right, so it's... Time to decide who's going to join our increasingly well-stocked meat halls and become our Thingman. We make this decision after each saga, so this will be the, what, 29th time we've chosen new followers. And wow. this saga offers a couple of interesting options. We, uh, we flipped a coin beforehand, and the gods of chance favored Andy. So you're up first, sir. Long last. Who's it going to be? As if we don't well, already know. <laughs> John, I can't recall a saga recently where I felt so strongly oh boy. that going first was the only option. <laughs> it's it's not it's not to say that there aren't some decent candidates in the saga. I admit I'm quite fond of Grima the Yarn Witch, and I like Thorbjorg, who's got the power to attack a man's eyes from afar. I also quite like Guest, even though he doesn't really accomplish much in the mm-hmm. saga. It, but if I was going second, these would be the people I'd be considering. And that should be a pretty good hint that the saga is so invested in its main characters that it doesn't devote enough to minor characters in a way that makes them interesting or viable. But, uh, you know, I'll let you deal with that problem because I won the coin toss for once and I'm very excited to be picking first. I don't think uh, it's going to shock anyone to hear that I'm taking Thormod Colburn's poet as my thingman. And I'm going to admit that I didn't like him at first because I don't think we're meant to. (laughs) And yet, he's the one who triggers the break with Thorgare as he wanders about mm-hmm. the increasingly troubling behavior of his sworn brother. Mm-hmm. From there, we see Thorgare evolve into a man of character, or at least the kind of character you'd want in your group of Thingmen. Maybe not in your, you know, modern uh, group of friends. Uh-huh. Sure, he's got a wandering eye, John, when it comes to the ladies, but he's never really behaving inappropriately, as far as we can tell, or... At least as far as the women he's involved with are concerned. But when push comes to shove, Thormod's a man you can rely on. His defining characteristic is loyalty. As a sworn brother to Thorgir, he travels all the way to Greenland to avenge his death. And he's no slouch about that revenge either. No, no, no. 
He's not just after Thorgrim Troll, the leader of the gang who killed Thorgir. Thormod is thorough in his attack on Thorgir's killer, ensuring that no one is left to come looking after the deed is done. Sure, he wipes out the male line of a powerful family in Greenland. Yeah, that's problematic to some. But when it comes to Thingman, and he's on your side, well, that's the kind of guy I want on my team. Mm-hmm. And the cherry on top, John. His wit, his talent for poetry. Thormod has a wonderful sense of humor and a talent for spinning stories that make even the most bumbling of sailors look like James Cook. Just look at what he's done for the legacies of Thorgair and his other great friend, King Olaf. With Thormod at my side, I'll have a man who can document my victories over you and your band of thugs while making me look brilliant, even when I accidentally stick my sword through my own arm. <clears throat> Thormod Colburn's poet, Grab a horn of mead. Come take your seat at my side. We've got a hall full of good men and farms full of attractive women. Make yourself at home. You've got what? Uh, I said we have uh, a hall full of good men uh-huh. and farms full of attractive Farm. women. <laughs> I see. Just you plant small girls at some point? What? <laughs> no, no. The, my, my thingmen have daughters and they're attractive. I see. And I, I feel like that, Thormod li- might like to take advantage of that. Yeah, you probably didn't mean that to sound creepy at all. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm working, I'm trying to attract the man to my side. I have I to see. work within well, the confines to, of... To, yeah, yeah. You're, if you want Thormod. he's interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Fair it enough. It doesn't reflect on me and my own values. Let's be clear. Sure. Absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, just the kind of guy you want to have around. Uh, now... <laughs> I had a sneaking feeling, Andy, as you argued in loops and curlicues to redeem Thormod, that he was going to end up on your bench. Uh, That's fine. That's fine. And I'm sure you'll be very happy with him. Uh, I do think this is one of the harder sagas to find a thing man in. So I I don't blame you for going for the main character that we didn't outlaw. I'm not saying I would make the same decision in your shoes, but I see how you ended up there. Uh, So I won't won't attack the choice. Now, for my part, I rejected a handful of candidates for one reason or another. Some, like Thorgils Massen or Thorbjörg Stout, just aren't in the saga enough to justify the choice. Others weren't all that interesting or didn't do enough to make the impression that I'm looking for in a thingman, like like Guest, who turns out to be largely ineffectual, or Helgi Seal's testicle, who I admit was tempting, but ultimately is little more than a nickname and a pair of fast shoes. Well, I mean, if you need a message sent, he's the Well, man. fair enough. Uh, if if the message is, where did my other one go? Uh, <laughs> the, the message is, something bad's happening over there. I ran away from it. Uh, so, in the end, I decided I wanted someone who knows how to run a farm, who knows how to deal with problems that crop up, who knows how to make magic armor out of yarn, Ooh, yeah. who knows how to manage her considerable wealth, and incidentally knows how to teach a lesson to your Thingman when he gets too fresh. Mm. I'm going to take the woman who permanently damaged Thormod's right arm for his inappropriate attentions to her daughter, and who showed political savvy, sorcerous talent, and a no-nonsense attitude. I'm taking Grima of Ogre, uh, mother of Thordis, and all I can say is that your new Thingman had better watch his step. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, if I was going second, Grima was my choice. So yeah, that makes a, sense. I, I can't argue. Anyone who can uh, knit, well, not even knit, she just I mean, stuffs yarn in his yep. in his coat. Uh, and also, worth pointing out, that, that is a magical power that is usually reserved for uh, blood relatives of the sorceress. Yeah. 
Right. Grimma mm-hmm. must be something special because she's able to just protect anybody by stuffing yarn in their cloak. That's a uh, that's that's impressive. Yeah. She uh, she definitely caught my attention. I'm not gonna lie. So good good choice. I think we both yep. we you know we did well here. Yep. But uh, you know let's uh, let's bring it home, John. You ready? I'm ready. Final, final rating. rating. At long last, we come to our final ratings. Now, we always include some commentary throughout our review of the sagas, but it's the final ratings where we try to bring it all together and offer some concluding thoughts on the saga. And since I went first with Thingman, John gets to go first in final ratings. Now, sometimes I have a pretty good sense of what you're going to say about a saga, but in this case, I'm not really sure. I know you liked it, but I don't know what you feel about it. Mm -hmm. So let's hear it, John. What did you make of the Saga of the Sworn Brothers? Are those set pieces that we reviewed tonight with their... Fun blending of action and humor enough to put it up there with the uh, the must-reads of saga literature? Or is it one of those rare sagas that feels fun and engaging while we're covering it on the podcast, only to earn a low score in final ratings? So why don't you tell us, friend, what is False Brother Saga to you? All right. I want to acknowledge first that uh, we originally thought this saga was going to be two or three episodes. And honestly, it could have been. Uh, maybe it should have been. But we kept finding more things that we wanted to talk about. Uh, This is a saga that rewards the time spent reading it. Uh, Set pieces like the spear ski attack or Thormod's assault on the Hamundrasons or Thorgir demolishing a shed to get at his spear-wielding enemy. They're great fun, if a little slapdash. But there are other entertainments here. I can't say I'm all that impressed with the depth of characterization in this saga, but I enjoyed the attention to how the women in the narrative are playing in the same sandbox of political power and social power and even honor as the men. We start with Thorbjörg the Stout, who we already know from Greta's saga as essentially a co-chieftain with her less competent husband, Vermund. Think of Sigurfjöth, who orchestrating just the right combination of friendliness, speeches, and bribes to get a pass from Vermund for having had his followers, her enemies, killed by the Sworn Brothers. Grimma of Iceland, my follower, uh, who handles Thormod's scurrilous behavior toward her daughter by the use of magic and a hired ambusher, and then avoids the blame and even gets her agent out of Iceland safely. Or Grima of Greenland, who sees a crack in the alliance of the two chieftaincies who come demanding to search her house for Thormod, and shows Thorkel Eriksson the danger to his honor in allowing his follower's house to be ransacked. Make no mistake, this is still a saga about men and about male relationships. But unlike many sagas, here, those men live in a world also inhabited by, negotiated by, and occasionally run by women. Beyond that, the little things in this saga are a treat. Uh, The efficient characterizations of uh, characters like Helgi Sealball or Grimma the Sorceress, or Audie Laus, or Sigafjoth, the politically savvy homeowner. Even Veglag the Thief, right? These are deftly done sort of mini profiles. The narrative manages a clear sense of space and place, despite ranging over several different lands and about a quarter of a century. And the sheer number of clever or well-timed lines means that we rejected something like a dozen possible candidates for witticism before getting to our candidates. This is a saga that generally knows what it's about. In some ways... Uh, All that is now going to sound contradictory to my critique of False Brothers Saga. This is such a written saga that it falls into the trap of repetition for effect. Uh, But the elements that repeat feel arbitrary and unnecessary. 
I lost count of how many doors got knocked on by how many assassins, answered by <laughs> sassy servants, and then witnessed a clumsy attack on the homeowner. Uh, there are the somewhat flat personalities of Thorger and Thorma themselves. Right? Both men are clear literary types rather than fully realized characters. And it's a fact that a number of significant loose ends never get tied up, like what happened to Thorar and the Overbearing in Iceland? What Grim the Icelander actually did in Iceland, the fate of Thormod's various love interests, and essentially the entirety of Guest or Helgusteinar's storyline. Mm -hmm. Now, none of that takes away from my enjoyment of the story, but it does mean that I can't put this among the very best sagas. I'm giving this a seven. Uh, and that might mm. be a little high, uh, honestly, but I'm tired and I've had enough beer to be feeling pretty mellow. So, seven. So seven more on enjoyment than in literary quality. I'd say two to one. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. I got it. I agree with most of what you've said there. Um, I think we can, you know, in terms of our agreement, we can start with the characters. Um, although you know, we go in just slightly different directions here, but I think ultimately we'll arrive at the same place. You know, despite their obvious flaws... Uh, both Thorgar and Thormod are drawn as memorable characters. They're shallow, but memorable. They're full of wit, and they have an exciting approach to combat that, frankly, is going to be hard to forget. And I think their combat is equally memorable. John, as you well know, the fight scenes from one saga to another are often so similar that they're almost indistinguishable. Mm -hmm. It's a special thing when an author can create a single action sequence that is distinct enough to be remembered. And this author came up with at least two, perhaps more. And that's a noteworthy accomplishment. I like that this saga reads well and it tells well. And by that I mean that you can enjoy reading the saga without much effort. And you can even retell some of the episodes around the campfire and they lend themselves nicely to the act of storytelling. In short, it's a fun saga. And for that reason, I, I would highly recommend it. It's worth reading. Now, from a literary perspective, <laughs> if I'm to judge this saga and its value to the corpus of saga literature from that angle, I would say that it has some real strengths. And I'm going to highlight two of them and then I'm going to move on. First, I appreciate that the author chose to craft morally complex characters. They're not deep com characters, but they're morally complex. Mm -hmm. There's a certain risk involved in building a narrative around men like Thorgar and Thormont. And even though we may not like them, the author still manages to get us invested in them all the same. And we're impressed by their accomplishments, even when we might not always approve of or fully understand the motivation. In a saga that is so aggressively androcentric, focusing as it does on the bonds that link men to one another and the hyper-masculine deeds of violence and sexual conquest that drive these very masculine protagonists, and the many conflicts that result from their behaviors. We're invited to glimpse a moment in time when a saga author was moved to highlight these particular behaviors for a particular purpose. Now, what that purpose is, is really left up to the reader. But here I'd like to kind of transition to my second strength that I wanted to mention, which is, as you suggested, the saga's handling of women as complex figures. You gave a lot of great examples, and we spoke about it occasionally while reviewing the saga, but there are an impressive number of women in this saga who speak for themselves and act as sources of wisdom for men who can't always see the flaws in their own choices. Here I'm thinking particularly of Siegerfjöld in chapters 4 to 5, who 
I think sets Thormod and Thorgir on the brutish Ingolf and and uh, uh, Thorbrand. Not only does she expose the failings in the protagonists up to that point and their approach to life, but she also manages to work, as you said, the political magic to clear their names with Verman the Slender. This is a savvy woman with a kind of agency and influence that we rarely see in the world up until very recently, honestly mm-hmm. and sadly. And Sigurdfjöll is only one example, as you suggested earlier, in a text full of women who think and act for themselves. So there's something to be said for this saga if you want to explore what it has to say about gender roles in medieval Iceland. Whether it represents a sort of reality or simply preserves a commentary on the subject, that makes it an important saga in the corpus of saga literature. So again, it's worth reading from that perspective. My only critique, similar to yours, is that the story doesn't really have enough substance to it. If it is a commentary on gender roles in medieval Iceland, honestly, it's hard to tell what it's trying to say about that. And that's a real issue for me. I'm not really sure what this saga is about. The saga might know what it's about, but I don't know what it's about. I know it bounces around following Thorgair and Thormod through their lives, but I'm often left wondering what is really at stake beyond the whole Thormod's bound to his sworn brother and he has to avenge him after his death at all costs kind of thing. It feels like a story that is attempting to find its way to becoming something more, but doesn't quite make it. This is a good saga, but it doesn't earn its place in the pantheon of the best saga literature has to offer. It's not an 8, it's not a 9 or a 10. It's not in that category, but it's still damn good and fun to read. And that's why I agree with you. It's a 7, John. There you go. Mm. Great minds. A long way to get there. But that was... <laughs> but I appreciate that you found your way back. Uh, I did. I did. That's very good. So a seven from me, a seven from Andy, a respectable but not stellar fourteen for Fuss Brothers. Which saga. I think is what the Fuss Brothers saga is. It's yeah. respectable. Yeah. It's yep. fun. It's interesting. Yep. Worth yep. reading. Yep. You won't but be sorry not. to read this. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so with that, I think we bring our journey through the saga of the Swarm Brothers to a much delayed close. Mm, Twas a fun ride, John. A bit longer than I anticipated, not in terms of saga length, but uh, just kind of how long it took to get it done. Well, that's kind of the way things are at this point. We've both had a lot going on with our responsibilities at work, uh, ever increasing the older we get. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 the thing about being available and vaguely competent in the workplace, isn't it? New opportunities <laughs> seem to just find you. Um, but, I, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm enjoying the many, many roles that I'm playing these days. Right. I've, uh, I'm going to emphasize the vaguely competent in that last description, but uh, that's why uh, I said it. I would say I'm I'm no, I meant for me. Uh, I would say enjoying my many roles is hard to say. Uh, I'm still think I still think of myself primarily as a teacher and I enjoy that. Uh, many of the other things that come your way in mid career are things that I I, I do. <laughs> enjoying is strong. <laughs> Well, however you feel about it, I think both of us would agree that we would love a bit more time to devote to this podcast. Uh, there's still so much that we want to say and do here. Absolutely. But, uh, uh, yeah. And, th- you know, when you say it that way, it sounds like we're about to announce a hiatus or something. And we're not. Just to be clear, we're not. Uh, the point is actually that things are really looking up for the spring. Yeah. Uh, Andy already knows this, but I feel comfortable announcing it now. Um, I am very, very fortunate to work where I do. I work at Bridgewater State University here in Massachusetts. 
And as an institution, Bridgewater has always been very supportive of my work on Saga Thing. Yeah. Can't tell you how incredibly jealous of the interest and investment you get from your university I am, John. Uh, it makes me wonder if they've ever actually uh, listened to the podcast, honestly, because if they had, maybe... Well, there's a reason why I don't give them the uh, the URL for it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but whether they listen like, I'm doing not. very important work. It's very That's important, right. very modern. Right. Don't worry about it. Sagas. You wouldn't understand. It's uh, above but, you. you know, they, but they support the idea of uh, scholarly outreach, right? uh, and that's what mm-hmm. counts. Uh, and along those lines, I'm happy to report that I have been awarded a sabbatical in the spring to work yeah. on a focused project that centers on Saga Thing. Yeah, it's all very exciting for us. Uh, but, uh, go, you know, you should take a moment and explain what a sabbatical is for those out there in the real world who maybe aren't familiar with the term, at least as far as it is for academics. Right. Well, now, yes, yeah, because a lot of people think a sabbatical is the same thing as a vacation. Nah. Well, aren't you traveling during your sabbatical? I think you do have plans to... Well, I mean, yes, but that's purely for professional reasons, Andy. <laughs> of course it is. I, I know that. Yes, professional I, reasons. No, believe me, Iceland in February is not most people's idea of a hop and vacay spot. Uh, well, a sabbatical, you're not most people, John. Well, that's right. Uh, a sabbatical in academia comes with certain expectations. Uh, in most English or history departments, you'd apply for a sabbatical with a particular project in mind. Usually it's a book or a series of articles or a translation or something like that. And your application would explain what you're going to be doing, why it's a valuable contribution to your field, and the deliverables that you plan to, plan to produce within the allotted time. So this could be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this could be the articles, it could be a book, it could be conference papers, something. That proposal is then reviewed by a committee and so on and so forth up the chain of command. Yeah. Now, uh, back when you were thinking about your application, you and I talked on the phone quite a bit about potential book projects that could grow out of Saga Thing. And that's, you know, something that we talked about before, but never really found the time to act on. And I was I was really excited about that idea. Yeah. And we have some good ideas. Uh, and we may we may still find time for those, especially when I've got yeah, maybe. time in the spring. But ultimately, yeah, I wanted to work on the podcast uh, and I felt pretty good about asking the university to consider that option. So I submitted an application asking for support to work on a specific saga, one that is lengthy mm-hmm. and really famous. Mm. And lo and behold, my request was approved, and I've got all of the spring semester to work on that project. No teaching, no administrative duties, uh, no expectations to come to campus regularly. Uh, still still got my kids. <laughs> but well, otherwise, uh, well, you know... Um, and one of them is still University learning at home. University can control so. your choices there, That's right. John. Uh, but otherwise, <laughs> uh, I get to focus on one saga for a while for the podcast and probably, yeah. I hope, produce an article or two alongside that. Yeah. And this isn't just any saga, people. No, no, no. We're not talking about Thorstein the White here or Bar the Saga. No, we're talking about one of the big three of saga literature. <laughs> We've already covered two of those in Njal Saga and Ale Saga. That's right, uh, which means when the spring semester rolls around, we will be diving headlong into Lakstala Saga. Mm-hmm. It's time. Uh, there's a lot there. I think we both have plenty to say. We do. Now, I know that you are still working out exactly how this is all going to work within the context of your sabbatical and what you've got to produce, but I also know that you're going to do a great job, and I honestly, I can't, I can't wait to get started. It's going to oh, be fun. Me too. Me too. Uh, but before that happens, we've got a bit of time to play around with some other stuff. Um, mm. Ideally, we need to knock out one more quick saga and then do the third quarter court. 
The third? Is it that time already? Already? Uh, Andy, yeah. when was the last time we did a quarter court? Uh, well, I just I don't really. My life's been very busy. I'm going to guess this is like uh, two years ago, something like that. You simple, simple fool. Andy, <laughs> do you know that you were still living in Ohio the last time we did a quarter court? Oh, my God. Well, that would it be a while ago. It was October of 2017. 2017? That's just, I don't even know. Are we that bad at this that we only managed to do 10 sagas in four years? Four years! Well, I'm, I'm going to point out that actually we've only managed to do nine sagas in four years because we're just talking about the fact that we need to do a tenth before the quarter wow. court. And I wow, also want to wow. point out that before that, the podcast ran for four years and we had covered 20 sagas. Mm. Uh, so well, now yeah. you're just making me depressed. I, you know, I think we shouldn't feel so bad. We've done almost 70 episodes in that oh, four years. Uh, wow. And we spent nearly okay. a year working our way through Ale Saga alone. Okay. All right. Well, that 70 makes me feel a little bit better. But but yes, uh, let's definitely do what we've got to do to get that third quarter court done. I think that's important before yeah. the sabbatical. Begins. I agree. Um, and while I start working on whatever the next saga is going to be, You've got plans to walk us through a pair of Thotter uh, related to the saga of the Sworn Brothers. That is right. Yes, there are a few loose ends to tie up with some tales that are sometimes appended to the saga in the manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got one tale about Thormoth Colbrun's poet, my illustrious Thingman. Oh dear. And another about Thorarin the Overbearing. Yeah, um, it's not too often that one of the bad guys in a saga gets his own tale. Uh, and Thorarin gets one too. Uh, <laughs> I see what, see what you did there. No, uh, he is one of the rare exceptions. And like you said, uh, we're going to be doing both of them in one saga short because, well, they're both short and yeah. pretty easy to cover. See what you did there. Uh, I'm not saying I they're s- good. You they're know, both short. But I predict, especially now that this is your thingman, that you're going to manage to drag this out into our longest episode yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you have my permission to find a new podcast partner if I do anything close to that. No way. I will Can't take be. that bet. Oh, you, you'll take that bet because you want to make sure the episode's shorter or because you really want a new podcast partner? Eh, let's, uh, let's see how it turns out and then I'll tell you. Uh, for now, oh, okay. we need to shut this down before this becomes our longest episode ever. Oh, I don't think we're even close. But uh, yes, it is time to say goodbye for now. Um, if you would like to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on the Fulspit of the Saga, uh, share your thoughts on our judgments, or maybe ask a question about a saga or Viking-related subject, well, you've got a lot of options. You can reach out to us via email, where we are sagathingpodcast at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook and the gram at Sogathing Podcast. The Graham. <laughs> it's embarrassing saying that. I keep hearing them. There's a commercial on sports radio that keeps talking about that. Uh, it's, do you call it the Graham? Yeah. but uh, So I, I that's how I'm doing it now. Wow. Because I'm hip and I'm young. Oh, yeah. That's you. <laughs> that's you. Uh, I like the way you wear the backwards gram. baseball cap over your graying hair. That's that's right. Hello, fellow young people. <laughs> Hit us up on the gram where we are at Saga Thing Podcast. Hello, co-evals uh, of similar age. <laughs> but we're also on Twitter uh, where we go by the handle Saga Thing Pod. Right. Uh, and if none of those options are working, you can always purchase some brand new Cleveland Guardians gear Ooh. and send it to Andy wrapped around your question or comment. Andy's beloved baseball team has a new name, and he's going to have to stock up on new regalia to wear as he watches his team continue to disappoint him year after heartbreaking year. 
Damn, that started out so good, John. <laughs> Aren't you a Mets fan? I know. I know exactly what I'm talking about here. I know what uh, that year after your heartbreak feels like. <laughs> but my team didn't no, change actually, names, so. I actually, uh, I like this idea. If yeah. people want to go for it, I, <laughs> I'm i in favor of this one. When, when is the last time your team won a World Series? Well, I, I prefer not to look at the past. John, I'm all about the future. We look forward here. <laughs> Says a guy co-hosting a podcast about medieval literature. Ah, uh, well... Uh, that's enough out of you. Be quiet. Uh, <laughs> we have got a lot going on and we can't wait to share it with all of you. Uh, we're going to be back soonish with Thormod's Tale and the tale of Thrar and the Overbearing. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye for now. That's not how you usually say it. What, what do I usually say? Usually you give the, the R a little bit more oomph, you know, that kind of thing. But whatever. That's, but I've, I've learned that that's an incorrect pronunciation. <laughs> well, fair, fair enough. It's been a while well, since you said it on the podcast. When has that stopped us before, John? I mean, now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not like we pronounce anything well. So I know. does it really matter in the end? I know.